where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. For the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on a Monday morning on 101 ESPN. Michelle on vacation. Danny Mack in for Michelle. I'm Randy Carriker, and it's great to have you with us at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Dan McLaughlin, how was your weekend? Good morning. It was awesome. I had a great weekend. We had a lot of local teams doing uh, well on the hardwood. Watched uh, the NHL All-Star game, saw some of that. Cairo looked uh, fantastic. He wins the fastest skater competition. How about that? Yeah, awesome. I, I, Hard uh, to do. I, I'm a big Cairo guy. I always have been. And people are like, oh, this, that, and the other couple of years ago. And I said, no. Nope. Got to let this guy go. He's a stud. He is a hell of a player. So that was fun to watch. Uh, had a good weekend. How about you? Everything went great. And the Billiken game on Saturday awesome. was terrific. A big win over Dayton, 72-61. The highlight of the game in the last couple minutes, Billiken's way ahead. By the way, this game was never less than a two-possession game after five minutes in. So, And by the, the way, Slew led for 38 minutes of yeah, the game. How about that? In control. And Jordan Arjet inducted into the Billiken Hall of Fame at <laughs> halftime. And then, after a huge dunk by Jordan Nesbitt late in the second half, Jordan was trash-talking some of the uh, players from, from Dayton. Their coach, Anthony Grant, ran onto the floor. And they actually ejected. The Billikens ejected their new Hall of Famer, Jordan Jet. I loved his tweet. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, I still don't like Dayton. Got a chance to beat the traffic, and then he put a peace sign up. It was awesome. It was a great tweet. Uh, I, I I don't understand in a serious nature why a technical wasn't called against the Dayton bench. So essentially, it's the rules, man. So it, a, a head coach, Randy, in college basketball, if you see that your player and another player are starting to get into a ruckus and something could break out, the head coaches are allowed to go out onto the floor and try to break it up. No one else from the bench is supposed to leave. Not your assistants, not training staff until they're called out, and certainly not the players. So not your whole team. It is a, I looked it up, it's a a Class B technical. So bench personnel can't leave the bench. And then what happens is, if they do, the referees then would award the opposing team a technical shooting foul. So they, 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 they get a free throw. And then the T the is assessed to the opposing bench mm-hmm. and coach. And that didn't happen. I, I just thought that was bizarre, the whole thing. Then Jet, who's going to the Hall of Fame for the Pelicans, gets ejected in his home floor. The whole thing was bizarre, but it was a wild atmosphere. And what we've talked about many times, you're a Billiken season ticket holder, is that when that place is loud and packed and there's a good team in there and it's a, a contested type game, it's a emotional game, 
there's not a better place in no. the country to go watch a basketball game. It's a lot of fun. 10,000, and the fans made a difference. Yeah. And that's one thing that we know here in St. Louis is that a loud crowd can make a difference at any sporting event, and clearly that was the case on Saturday. No doubt. And the thing that I take away from that game is, number one, the Billikens get over the hump, so they hadn't beaten Dayton in five consecutive games. Now the Billikens are in second place. They could have been tied for first. By the way, George mm-hmm. Washington and Davidson, how did that happen? They played a tight game, but Davidson was able to squeak by. So they're, uh, I think, now a game ahead of SLU. They've got one loss in the conference, and SLU has just two. They're 7-2. and two, They're 16-6. and six. Now those two teams are going to hook up in a little over a week. So SLU's upcoming schedule tomorrow at LaSalle. LaSalle's no good. They should win that game. Every road game is tough. I don't care who you play in conference play. It's still tough. They're 2-8, and 7-13. and 13. Then you have back-to-back games. They're back home against St. Bonaventure on Friday. They'll go to St. Bonaventure then on Monday, then LaSalle on a week from Wednesday. So the Billikens could go in with that matchup with Davidson, really with the conference on the line. They could be 20-6, and six, and they could be 11-2 and two, taking on Davidson. And I, I think we've got to give Travis Ford a ton of credit. Yep. He has done this without Javante Perkins. And that needs to be brought up. This team has transformed themselves to be a better team uh, that I thought they could be without Javante Perkins. I, I just didn't see them doing this without him. I was like, who's going to go get a bucket? But then you watch in the game on Saturday, it's Martin Linson who right, steps 17. up. And he's a good game player. High. He is. And the game before that, you had 35 from Yuri. The game before that, you had 31 from Jimerson. It really is a varied array of stars. It's a different star every night for the Billiken. So they've got things going. They beat Dayton 72-61. Meanwhile, the Mizzou Tigers snap a four-game losing streak, and they knock off Texas A&M at Texas A&M 70-56. And, Dan, you look at that four-game losing streak. You lose at Alabama, and they've been a top 25 team this year. Lose at Alabama 86-76. Lose to number one Auburn by two, 56-54. Lose at number 23 Iowa State 67-50. And then lose at home against Florida 66-65. So you had a couple of close losses, a couple of losses to ranked teams. Then you go to A&M and you win 70-66. Not to defend Mizzou or Conzo Martin. They're 9-13. and 13. They're 12th in the SEC. But I don't think anybody who keeps an eye on them can really determine what they are. We were talking off the air right before we came on uh, the show. Who is uh, Mizzou? I, I didn't anticipate them going down there and doing that. And when Kobe Brown is in the lineup, you're not sure what kind of team you're going to be. He is a difference maker for them. I I think big picture, though, what you're talking about, Randy, is that if I'm the administration and the athletic side of what's going on with Conzo, he's got a big buyout. Mm -hmm. If you want him gone, which there's a lot of people in our audience, I'm sure, that say get get, get rid of him because he wasn't very good this year. I get that, but he's got a relationship with the AD previous in terms of, you know, these these two know each other. They're, They're friends. Her son plays as a walk-on for Conzo Martin. Right. So he's. I, I think my point is, is that I didn't anticipate them winning a game. Like we were around December, mid-December. I said, man, I, I don't see them winning a game until February, maybe against Vanderbilt. Well, they've won some of these games. They've been tight against good teams. They had the number one team in the country beat. They should have won that game at home. He's probably bought himself some time. Yeah. And I, I felt that even if he didn't win any games coming up to this point, is that he's taken two teams to the NCAA tournament. We knew this was going to be kind of a, 
up and down year. I don't think people anticipated it would be like this, but he's bought himself some time, and I, I would anticipate that he comes back next year. I would say this, by the way, Randy, I've, I have two sons, and if you said to me, who do you want him to play for, I'd say there's no better guy, no better person mm-hmm. than Conzo Martin. Now, this is about wins and losses, but he is a stand-up dude, man. Yep. He, he's a great guy, so I, I think that also buys him. doesn't cheat. That mm-hmm. buys him time, you and know? Normally, Dan, there's a hot coach in college basketball. Yeah, who do you want? There are no surprise mid-major top 10, top 15 teams this year. I mean, you've got, it's Auburn, Gonzaga, UCLA, Purdue, Kentucky, Houston, Arizona, Baylor, Duke, KU, Wisconsin, the Villanova, Bloods. right, Michigan State. Do any of the coaches at those schools say, yeah, I want to take the Mizzou job over this job? No. You'd have to probably go into the Valley, and a Darren DeVries at Drake is really good. He was mm-hmm. a longtime assistant under Gray McDermott. He's done really well at Drake. However, he is from that Iowa area. So it, when Iowa sees an opening or Iowa State, he's probably the guy that they go for. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be a fit in Columbia? Who knows? But that's... That's where you go. You got to start looking at those type of places, and then you look at other mid-major uh, places that have teams that win. Well, they're teams that that these coaches aren't leaving. I'm with you. I, if I were Mizzou, I would make the dis- business decision to not pay the six million dollar buyout, and then you see what Kim English becomes next year at George Mason after he, a second year. Yeah, he's a guy that certainly because of his ties, you'd, you'd look at. I, I I would agree with that. But he, he's certainly got to see it right. Yeah, he, he's not a guy where you say, okay, that's the answer right now after one year being a head coach. Number 18, Illinois did knock off Indiana over the weekend, 74-57. And Dan, no talks scheduled by Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association. On Friday, the Players Association rejected the idea of a mediator entering the talks. And so we are at a standstill again. We've had, I believe, four negotiations since December 1st, and right now it's February 7th. This is a big week. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just they, I've been saying it from last week with you. We talk off the air all the time. You got the Super Bowl next Sunday, and then it's over. And so then your attention really goes to hockey. College basketball is winding down. You're going to get into conference tournaments coming up not too far away. And then at that point, people are excited about spring training normally. Now it's a big week, too, because there's owner owners meetings set up this week. So... The, uh, my understanding is that you're going to have owners' meetings, and then coming out of that will be another proposal, and then we'll see where we go from there. But, yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating right now. And as a guy that makes a living off baseball and need baseball, <clears throat> along with a lot of other people, I miss it. I want to see it get back done, and, and uh, we're getting crunch time, Randy. I mean, think about it. Next Monday... We are the 14th, so yeah, we're at the that's 14th. That's the start of spring training. That's the start of spring training, and then I think you and I both have said, you know, if we're going to have a full season, I think you need to look at probably March 1st, March 2nd as being a cutoff date to get that thing done. MLB announcing over the weekend that five umpires have been promoted to full-time major league umpires. Ryan Adeton, Sean Barber, John Libka, Ben May, and Roberto Ortiz. Dan, early take it or leave it. If baseball would miss eight games, but... Angel Hernandez wouldn't be back to umpire in 2022. You would take that. That's a, that's a yeah, trade I'd that you would take make. That you'd trade eight games for getting rid of Angel Hernandez. Do you know what happened to me last year in first game of spring training? <laughs> yeah, it was one of the best things ever. <laughs> so first uh, inning, I mean, it's right down the chute, man. It looks like a strike. And again, we're in spring training, first game. so the strike zone needs to be a little bit wider. Let's get this thing going. 
And my call was, well, Angel Hernandez in mid-season form. <laughs> so my boss comes in. It was a Sunday afternoon. He goes, well... It only took you an inning, but you're going viral on the internet. It was like all over the place. I'm like dead spin, New York Post, you know, awesome. Cardinal announcer says something about Angel Hernandez. Took me one inning, a half inning. Was I was great. going viral. You were in midseason four. <laughs> Isn't this supposed to be entertainment, Randy? At the end of the day, it is. That's and why I don't think Jack could could maybe make it in this no, era. It'd be tough. And he's too funny. The the problem is that it is about entertainment, but Angel Hernandez thinks he's supposed to be entertaining. That's the problem. And <laughs> how about Joe West? So he's done. He's retired. Yeah, Joe West is done. Um, and you know what? We never really heard about Joe West. Was part of that Giovanni Gallego scheme that. You know, yeah. he confiscated the job. And he did a good job, and that was what he was supposed to do. But then nothing ever came of it. Like, what happened to the hat? What did they find? Was there anything part of this? Yeah. Did you ever hear a follow-up of that? Not I would ask around. People are like, yeah, we don't know. People were frustrated with that thing, with the uh, sticky but stuff. But that was, when that hat was taken, that started the process towards yes. getting rid of the sticky stuff. And he handled it properly. Yeah. The new rules were implemented, and he did it right. He sure did. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Oh, and, and we should say, by the way, speaking yeah. of Mizzou, real quickly, Steve Wilkes is uh, being linked to the New York Giants position as defensive coordinator. Okay. So he's down at Mizzou, but he's also... He took a lot of heat this year. Yeah. Got better as the year went on, but he's being linked to the Giants job, too. Interesting. And speaking of football, today we're going to talk to Dick Vermeil at 9 o'clock. He should be elected to the Hall of Fame on Thursday. And then Rick Venturi is going to break down the Super Bowl for us coming up at 9.15. However, coming up next, we want your text 65780. Start one. Bench one. Cut one. Dan, Randy, 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I put head. What? Start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. Your text 65780. We want to hear from you and we want your questions for us. So, what do you want us to do? Start, bench, or cut? Dan, the Pro Bowl yesterday for the National Football League, and the AFC oh. wins it over the NFC 41 to 35. So, you've got the winter All Star games, Dan. You've got the Pro Bowl, you've got the NHL All Star game, and the NBA All Star game. Start one, bench one, you cut one. You must be reading my mind. This is where I went. I just showed Rocky what I had, but go ahead. So, so go ahead. You, you can determine well, whether I, you're going to start one. Bench one. No, you go right one. ahead. You go no, first. A, it's the, the, it's a question. This oh. is start one, bench one, cut one. What are you going to do? For so my three options are NBA, NHL, and Pro Bowl. Okay, uh, I'm going to start the NBA. I'm going to bench the NHL, and I'm going to cut the Pro Bowl. I'm doing the exact same thing. Yeah. Although some of the stuff going on with the NHL skills and things, it was kind of a little weird. I don't know if you saw that. Like some guys are outside. Some guys are doing mm-hmm. different. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's. It's fine. We're, we're entertaining people here. Uh, mine was going to be, uh, I was going to go down that road. So I was going to go with all-star games in general. Uh-huh. So would you, and I was going to go MLB, NHL, NBA. What would you start, bench, cut? I would start in that scenario, the Major League All-Star Game. Yes, me too. I would bench the NBA and I would cut the NHL. 
Really? You want to cut the NHL? Simply because I don't think it's real hockey. And not that they yeah. play defense in the NBA All-Star game either. But it's a three-on-three tournament. And I, while three-on-three is fun for overtime, I don't love it for three periods. Understood. Uh, I used to love the NBA All-Star game. I love the three-point contest mm-hmm. when Bird was in it and others. Um, I used to love it. I used to love watching the NBA. Even though there was no defense, I just enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's yeah they still play a 175-171 game. It's it's still pretty cool. Yeah. All right, Matt Rocchio is in for your Tech 65780. Matthew, what do you got? We got one here. Start one, bench one, cut one. Centerpiece of the future, Kairu Thomas Huso. Ooh. Okay. Uh... I am going to go exactly in that order. I'm going to start Jordan Cairo. I'm going to bench Robert Thomas, and I'm going to cut Huso, who may not be here next year anyway because he's an unrestricted free agent, and the Blues do have Bennington. But the rarest thing now in hockey, it used to be getting that stud number one defenseman. Rarest thing now in hockey is finding a goal scorer, and Jordan mm-hmm. Cairo appears to be one. Cairo's on, poi- uh, on pace for 86 points. Yeah pretty good year impressive yeah i i think i'm with you uh i love thomas in all situations because he's just he and Cairo can skate they they they're exciting players but i'm with you i think i go Cairo thomas huso and huso may be the difference maker down the stretch for the blues yeah. this year and thomas is an elite playmaker i just wish he'd shoot more yeah he's got a decent shot i don't know why he doesn't use it more there might have been a bug in the studio uh because there's a start one bench one cut one with zidane charo Zeno Chara, Ben Sherratt, and Jacob Chitrin as a uh, new defender for the Blues. Start one, bench one, cut one. I want to see Charo finish his uh, NHL career here in St. Louis. Hmm. Pair him with uh, Pareko. Get some big big guys out there, big size. Let him get after it, Randy. I know he's 58 years old, but so what? He would probably be the least expensive of the three based upon what the Blues would have to give up. I'm not assuming that everything is equal here Mm -hmm. and apparently the canadians are getting offers of a number one for charat who's a free agent at the end of the year but i'm still going to go there i'm going to start ben charat i'm going to bench chara and i'm going to cut chikrin because i don't want to give up what the blues would have to give up you're going to have to give up four elements for a guy like chikrin my guess would be they'll start in arizona with Perunovic, Buchnevich, and a couple of number ones. I like your thinking, too. You, you get a guy that you may only get for a couple of months. Maybe you're not giving up the personnel. Mike, you're going to have to give up picks, as yeah. you said, maybe a number one. I'm I'm kind of okay with that. If I feel that I'm going to – because I feel the Blues need a defenseman. And if that's going to get me over the hump and, and I feel I'm putting my best foot forward here in this 22 season of finishing up this year, then I'm, I'm okay with it because – Again, the window for some of these guys, who knows, you know, in a couple of years, who's going to be here. You still got guys in the primes of their career. Mm-hmm. I go for it. And hopefully you'd be able to, if you would get a guy like Sherratt, you could keep him around. And hopefully you could yeah, be able to move some salary. You'd have to move some salary with him. For sure. Yeah. All right. Start one, bench one, cut one. Baseball commentators on pure entertainment value. Harry Carey, Bob Euchre, Vince Scully. Oof. Well, unfortunately, uh, based on pure entertainment, we're going to have to cut Vin. Vin is a great storyteller, but he's not in the same league in terms of being entertaining as you. Off the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Or or Harry. I'm going to go 
Okay, we just have to go basically... We, we can't go movie. That's the problem here. Well, here's the thing, too. Do you want your entertainment being, like, the excitement of the call, or mm-hmm. are you looking for, like, just funny stories in an 11-2 game? Right? Right. Yeah, and everybody's got different thoughts because Vin's stories in 11-2 game, extraordinarily entertaining. Yes. I'm going to I'm gonna start Harry Carey because I think that he reflected the fans so well. I'm going to bench Bob Euchre, and I'm going to cut... Ben Scully. It's the only time in his life he'll get cut. I, I'm going with the same order, but I don't feel right about it. No, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I would get home uh, after doing Cardinal games and uh, always put on Vince Scully. Just did mm-hmm. the, the West Coast games because I just enjoyed listening to him. It was so much fun to listen to a guy do it by himself yep. with a great history. Now, he had help around him. He had a researcher, and he had um, also a stack guy. So there's people feeding him stuff. But still, a lot of that would be somebody feeding him something and then him just kind of going off and remembering things. Yeah. And and that's, that's awesome. So if you're 25 or 30, you driving to work this morning, your dad may have told you that when he would come home from school, the Cubs played only day games. They didn't have lights at Wrigley Field, and they played every game in the afternoon. So we'd come home from school, and we'd yes. watch the Cubs on WGN. And Harry Carey did the games every single day, and he reached a point, old man, I don't care what I say. So well, somebody would lose a pop-up in the sun, and he'd say, he grew up in the Dominican Republic. How can he lose the ball in the sun? Yeah, can you imagine doing that now? <laughs> no. Oh yeah, I mean... <laughs> And and Steve Stone would try to keep it on the rails, you know, and, you know, Harry, they're going to, you know, think about bringing in the right hand. I don't care. What is what, what is he doing over there? He and was they, extremely entertaining. Remember when they had, like, they'd go through the, uh, like, the lineup, and it, like, Sarge is over there. They got the penguin there. Mm-hmm. You know, the bull is at first. You know, they had Leon Durham. They had Ron Say. They had Sarge yep. out in the out. I mean, it was just all nicknames, and it was fun. You know, it was entertaining. Yeah. It's supposed to be that way. I I think, but hey, no, it was extremely. He was he was great. Yes. Well, last one. Start one, bench one, cut one. SNL stars: Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase. Oof. I mean, you got to cut Chevy, right? Bill Murray, just because of what happened afterwards. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase. Okay. So I grew up in this era, as you did, Randy, watching these guys. I'm gonna go Chevy Chase. I'm gonna start him. Oh yeah. He was, he was awesome on he was those. So good. He, I mean, his weekend updates are just hilarious. And then Bill Murray and then Dan Aykroyd. And that's, I don't feel right doing that either. Okay, is this just based on what we saw on Saturday Night Live or is this their entire career? I guess I guess the Texas going entire career. Okay. Well, then it's Bill Murray. Yeah, I'm going to start Bill, Bill Murray. And then I'd go Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd. I'm exactly the same as yeah. you, Daniel. Although I love the Blues Brothers. That'd be tough to bench. Or even cut Dan Aykroyd. But Belushi kind of made that. He did. He did. I, I agree. And I, you know what? Chevy Chase really, aside from Caddyshack, I guess Fletch was funny. Fletch was pretty good. But he was basically the same guy for pretty much every role he ever had, wasn't he? Yeah, kind of fumbling, yeah. stumbling. Yeah. and he, he was good and kind of the last thing he was going to ever be in, in, like, in com- the show Community. But mm-hmm. he was essentially yeah. just playing himself where he was just an ornery old man that everyone was angry with. Right. Now, if you're going to go on the best all-time SNL character, it's Eddie, Eddie Murphy in my, my book. He's the best. He was, he was awesome. I mean, he was <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, I still... Like, I was driving down the road yesterday, as a matter of fact, 
and the song Three Times a Lady <laughs> came on by the I Commodores. Did too. <laughs> Same thing. Three times a lady. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And Bones. thanks for your text. Nice. Three times a lady. <laughs> he was awesome. He was great. Uh, coming up next on 101 ESPN, it's Super Bowl weekend, and we're not really talking about football. And I don't think it's just here in St. Louis either. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's Super Bowl week, and many radio and TV stations will descend upon Los Angeles for Super Bowl 56 next Sunday at SoFi Stadium. But, Dan, there are so many things that are being talked about in the NFL. A great tweet from Field Yates of ESPN over the weekend. Last week, of course, last Tuesday, Brian Flores filed a suit against the league and the Broncos and the New York Giants and the Dolphins, alleging misconduct in the way that they treated him and other minorities. And at that time, the NFL responded that this lawsuit is without merit. Field Yates tweets over the weekend after a release from Roger Goodell on Saturday. The NFL on Tuesday. Brian Flores' claims are without merit. The NFL today, Saturday. We understand the concerns expressed by Brian Flores and are retaining outside counsel to reevaluate our policies on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Here is the biggest event that football and really sports has to offer. And we really aren't talking much about what's going to happen on the field in the game. No. Which, which is unusual for any sport. I got to wonder if that changes, though, this week. And I say that just because you're going to have a lot of these celebrities or former athletes, Hall of Famers come down Radio Row pushing some type of product. Mm -hmm. And then, as you know, you get the chance to interview them and then they say, OK, uh, now you get your 60 seconds to talk about your product or whatever. And I wonder if more of the the focus will be on the field and asking them about the game, you know, who they like. Uh, do you like watching Odell Beckham Jr.? Do you enjoy watching Matthew Stafford play QB if it's Joe Montana? Whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. I got to wonder if that's going to go a little bit more towards that. And when these interviews are set up, that the interviews are said, hey, don't ask these guys mm -hmm. about this stuff. Well, but last week, Jason McCourty, who played 2017 with the Browns, and Hugh Jackson had said that the team had been incentivized to lose games. Dev, uh, Jason McCourty said, I was there in 2017, and there's no way we were trying to win. I wonder if there will be players that played maybe here for the Rams after 2010. Certainly crosses your mind, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, who were aware of the fact that systematically this team was being set up to not win games to try to alienate the fan base. I don't think it's always to alienate the fan base as it was in St. Louis. Sometimes they really are going for the number one pick like the Browns were or the Dolphins were. But it's got to be troubling, and it'll be something that Roger Goodell has asked about at his press conference when he holds it this year. I don't know what day he'll hold it, but he's certainly going to be asked about what he plans to do about franchises incentivizing players and coaches to lose. I would say when you are, you know, let's say you're four and six, eh, that's probably four and eight, and you're out, do you think coaching staffs get together with the front office and say, if they feel comfortable with their jobs for the following year, that they say, are we really going to put our best foot forward? I mean, are we really trying to win this game 
Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we'll come up with a game plan, and, and but it's different when you're eight and four mm-hmm. and you're pedal to the metal. That might be human nature too, to where you say, "Hey, if we finish in the bottom half, we're looking at a better pick." I, I don't know. I don't think I've never run across a coach who is willing to just lose a game. Me neither. And, and players, if you're a player, you don't want that number one pick coming in and taking your job. Well, so I, you don't I, want your team to have a high no choice. Question. You want to be as good as you can possibly be. And I like what Brian Flores did have to say is is when this was going down, he said, bottom line is football is giving me my life. And I'm not, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm not willing to compromise the integrity of this sport and this game that's given me so much so that we can get a higher pick. I'm just mm-hmm. not going to do right. that. And I, I think generally speaking, most players, most personnel most coaches feel like it's the integrity of the game that we need to uphold i really do believe that so you've got the fallout from the flores lawsuit the minority coach hiring the owners incentivizing coaches to lose and in the same week congress has former members of the washington football team front office in for a round table where they talked about the allegations against dan snyder and more allegations were brought to the fore and now Congress wants the 650,000 emails from the probe that the league has been reticent to turn over. And so now it looks like the NFL is going to be in a tug of war with Congress as well. I don't know how he continues to stay as the chairman of the board or as the owner of that team. With, with this stuff coming out and with the government now involved in this, yep. I, I don't think there's any way that he survives. And Dan, let me tell you something. When Sports Illustrated reported sexual impropriety allegations against Jerry Richardson when he was the owner of the Panthers. He was out in a blink. That's right. They got rid of him so fast. And that's what I was going on. Yeah. And and now Jerry Richardson was disliked by Jerry Jones because Richardson was on the side of St. Louis. All right. He was one of the two franchises that voted against the move of the Rams. There's much speculation that this was well known within the NFL community and Jerry Jones turned over the information to Sports Illustrated but still we know what Dan Snyder did and there's no it doesn't appear as if at least there's any proactive measures on the part of the league to get rid of Dan Snyder despite doing things that are every bit as scurrilous if not worse than what Jerry Richardson did I got a two-parter for you question um with the Goodell state of the union of the NFL which will be held this week number one do you think he's even asked about the 790 million dollar lawsuit awarded to St. Louis two if you had a chance to ask a question what would you ask I don't think he'll be asked about it because I don't either you'll have representatives of the, the 32 teams there's media representatives and they aren't thinking about St. Louis and my question would be uh Commissioner Goodell you recently settled a civil law, a, a, a civil fraud lawsuit against the league for seven hundred ninety million dollars. What have you and the league learned from going into this lawsuit and, and having to settle it? I do, though, wonder if folks in Chicago that cover the Bears or those that cover the Bills would use what's happened here in St. Louis as a precedent and say. Okay, based on what has happened in St. Louis, what does this mean for our franchises going forward that are being held mm-hmm. hostage, so to speak, to continue to build and continue to put up a new stadium or use it as a threat to enhance uh, the, the the buildings that we could put up? You know what I mean? I mean, so are you going to 
Are you going to learn, like you said, are you going to learn from this, or is it part of the precedent moving forward? Where do we go from here? And my guess would be that the league, either publicly or privately, will change those relocation guidelines. Because I think clearly, they have to now. Yeah, the, if you aren't going to abide by them, don't have them written down. That's right. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I do think, though, if I was covering the Bears or the Bills, it's yeah. one of the prominent questions I would want to ask because you're talking about my readers, my taxpayers, having to potentially dive into their pockets mm-hmm. to build these things. Right. And you just had a fraudulent situation in St. Louis. I, I do wonder if the Super Bowl was held anywhere else outside of L.A. and not with Kroenke at, with one of the teams in the Super Bowl. Um, would it be less of uh, a subject to talk about? But with them being front and center, mm-hmm. I do wonder if that does come to light a little bit more than maybe we would expect it to. It'll be, I'll be intrigued to see what the media does. And then the other thing that the league has to deal with is that if you didn't see it last night, Alan Kamara was arrested for assault at the Pro Bowl. The Saints running back after the game was at a club and got into it. You had the attack at SoFi, leaving a 49er fan in a coma. So, heck, you have fights every week, every game, it seems like, at SoFi Stadium. So there's a lot of off-field violence that the league should deal with as well. I don't believe that they will. But they should. Well, what are the uh, what precautions uh, have, has the league taken to make sure that everybody feels secure and safe at the stadium? Yeah, and uh, I think not that the, that would be a legitimate yeah. question. Yeah, and, and Inglewood is not the the best neighborhood in the world. No. At least it wasn't before they built the stadium. I don't right. know how much it's changed, but it's not clearly the 49er fan would tell you if he could. It's not a very safe place to be. That's Dan. I'm Randy and it's Super Week on 101 ESPN. We'll have the game for you on Sunday by the way. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Danny Mack, Randy Carricker, Matt Rocchio, and Dan, the other night, the Lakers were playing the Knicks on national TV. Three and a half minutes left. Lakers up 103.97. Russell Westbrook, who went one of ten from the field, gets the ball for a wide open three, and the fans at the crypt start screaming, No! Because they don't want him to shoot. Now, the Lakers gave up a lot of players and several picks and a ton of money for Russell Westbrook. And I thought on draft night when they made the trade that it was not a good trade for the Lakers. Uh, But take it or leave it, you think it's pretty funny when a crowd yells, No! when a player has an open three and he's getting ready to take it. Well, I'll take it. It's not funny for Russell Westbrook. Uh, he's hearing the booze, man. Yeah. At home. He's hearing a big time. And uh, <laughs> I thought that that would be a good fit. I, I was in the other camp that thought, well, it's LeBron. You know, you get LeBron. He's he's controlling. He's, he's the guy running the show. But he doesn't play. I mean, he just sat five games. Yeah. So you got other players that uh, have to step up and be a part of the team outside LeBron, who, by the way, had a triple-double 
yesterday, he's I still think it was. He is. So when he's on the floor, they're a different team. And when he's not, they're average. And they'll have street clothes for the playoffs, I think. You think so? Yeah, I think so. All right. Take it or leave it. SLU will head to the NCAA tournament. And I say this with uh, Joe Lenardi just came out with his recent bracket. They're in the first four out. Yeah, I'm going to take it because I think they're going to win their conference tournament. Interesting. So you got them getting in because of the automatic bid. Yes. If they can beat Davidson... I don't. If you beat Davidson and lose another game, I, th- I still think it's going to be tough. I don't know if the A10 is more than a one bid league. Now, if SLU wins or somebody else wins the conference tournament, I think Davids could, Davidson could get the at large because mm-hmm. they have been one of the best teams in the country. I think they won at one point twelve or thirteen in a row, whatever it was. They're leading the A10 right now. They're nine and one in conference play. I, I tend to agree with you. Put it this way. You can't have any more bumps in the road if you're slew. And it really is amazing how tenuous this is, Dan, because they were up by 13 with seven and a half minutes left against number one Auburn, number one now Auburn. You hang on and win that game. You're well beyond the last four in. You're you're way better than that. And even UAB, yes. rather than being last four out, you're probably last four in. What if you it? beat UAB here at home. There was another one, too, that they had, I uh, can't think of it, non-conference, that they it was a team that was supposed to win their conference championship. And it's a good team, but when you're at home, Belmont? you probably... Yes. I guess it was Belmont, yeah, that you got to win that game. I want to yeah. say Boston College. I'm like, that's right. Um, yeah, they won that one. So there was somebody else who I thought they lost against that was tight but uh the iona win will be good one because it's rick patino and you beat him mm-hmm. well, they, um, i mean they should have beat they probably should have beaten date date in that first game back in january yeah this is non-conference at home i could be wrong maybe Here, I, I, uh, uh i can probably give it to you let's see win 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 i'm just looking for losses lost uab lost to belmont beat bc yeah, lost that's Auburn. it lost to belmont yeah yeah okay so the uab belmont games i think if you win those two you then, took Auburn down to the wire, mm-hmm. then I think you're probably in today. I think so. Yeah. And getting that Iona game and then winning it, that might wind up being pretty big for them. Yeah. Yeah, I, and Iona and Boise State winning a lot of games since those, yes. those wins Boise had, State. is, yep. is going to be huge. The Boise State one especially. Uh, take it or leave it, Joe Cool is the hero STL deserves, and he stops the Rams in their tracks. Take it. I'm going to leave it. Come on, Joe Cool. I'd love to see it. I want to see him smoking a victory cigar after that be game. nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to leave it. <laughs> Where are you going to watch a game? Are you going to watch a game, Randy? Uh, I'll probably see. Or does it pain you too much? No. It's, uh, I'll, Let's I'll just be, be honest. I'll, we're I'll we're in the trust home. tree. I'm sure that the the TV will be get flipped over to the puppy bowl now and then. You know, so it, Joan loves to watch the puppy bowl. We love the puppy bowl. At the Take it or leave it. Randy is lying about watching the Super Bowl. Also, you're going to hate watch it. All of it. I'm not going to see the whole thing, though. I won't. Will you be checking in on the score? Will that change your viewing habit? Uh, well, yeah, if Cincinnati's rolling. Then but I know, the Rams play, I know the Rams <laughs> play half a game. Whether they play the first half or the second half, that's how, that's how they roll. They play half a game. Fair enough. Take it or leave it. Yachty will take one year off after this year, and then he'll be back in the game in some facet. Coach, manager, something like that. Um, depends on when you say back in the game. I, I think he doesn't take any time off. 
and it could be doing something with Team Puerto Rico or the national team for them, uh, maybe buying a minor league team, in, or I say minor league, but some type of team in Puerto Rico and running that. I see him staying in the game right, right off the hopper. I do not see him taking a job where he would have to deal with the media. He doesn't like it. I think he'll be different once it's over. He'll be one of those guys that really? I think, yeah, I do. I, I, uh, I think he'll be different in deal in dealing with the media and understanding that part of the job is if if you want to be in this role, you have to deal mm-hmm. with the media. So deal with it. Kind of in the same vein earlier, but take it or leave it. You've never rooted for a team more in the Super Bowl other than the greatest show on turf team than you will for Cincinnati this weekend. Oh, I'm, I'm going to leave that because those I times w- where the Giants were playing the the Patriots. I rooted really hard. I think I'm with you on that. I, I'm kind of just, I got apathy. Yeah, yeah. I was a lot more angry about the first um, Super Bowl berth that they were in L.A., so I, I, I rooted pretty hard. I, I rooted much harder for the Patriots yeah. in that game than I will the Bengals. I did not see a snap of that game. You're a better man than I me. I didn't either. I went and washed my car, and it was cold out. It was freezing out. There was no reason to go wash a car. The roads were empty. Yeah. And uh, I did not watch it either. No. I actually drove Katie back to Peoria for to Bradley that night. Yeah. Of the Super Bowl. I was and too upset. I was I was emotionally yeah. invested. But I was mad. This one is nah, I just I don't yeah. care. Whatever. Yeah. I'm I'm meh. I, not to say I wouldn't love to see them lose, but if they win, big deal. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Illinois goes into the tournament as a six seed or better. Take it. Take that. I think they'd be better. I would say so too. Yeah, they're top four seed. I think. I think they're, yeah. like they're four seed at the, at the, I, I the lowest. I think they're already there. I mean, they're about to hit the top sixteen. You know, in the top twenty-five. So I mean, they'll yeah. and they got a chance to win in. that conference, right? Yeah, they do. I, I, I think. Yeah, they really do. I mean, and they got a stud underneath. The Big, t- the yeah. big Ten's good, be, but it's cannibalized oh. itself in a couple ways. Yeah, it really. So has. You, the the conference record should be kind of evening out where they should still have a shot at it. And yeah. take it or leave it with uh, some more college basketball. Two, little two part here. Take it or leave it. SLU should move to the Valley for better crowds, travels, rivalry, etc. You know, I, I think SLU at this point, I would love to see the regional rivalries of those teams because it'd be easier to travel. I mean, SLU could go to Southern Illinois and you could have a big crowd. You go down to Missouri State, you have a big crowd or vice versa. Um, I think maybe what SLU is hopeful for is looking at like the all, like trying to get in the Big East, mm-hmm. you know, as the Big East continues. I mean, conferences now in in basketball really in colleges are just so much up in the air it's just what can you bring to the table what's your television market what kind of money can you bring and slu is still st louis is still a top 25 tv market so that's desirable i would think that they're probably looking at big east if it expands and then you think about also maybe what about an all-catholic conference if Mm -hmm. that would come out there's some really good basketball teams potentially that could align there um but I, I just think I'd lo- I would love to see the regional rivalries of the Valley. I just don't think it's going to happen. And the Valley is, they, they don't have the markets that even the A-10 does with the Philadelphia teams. Loyola will provide a great uh, compliment to St. Louis to, in the A-10 with the St. Louis-Chicago rivalry. And you have the Dayton rivalry. Now, are you ever going to be able to have real rivalries with St. Bonaventure and Fordham? No. But... The A-10 is a better fit for the metro market of St. Louis than the Valley is. And I'm with you, Dan. I think if Travis can ever get it going consistently here, I'm convinced that if Rick Majerus wouldn't have passed away, that SLU would already be in the in the Big East. I'm trying to figure out why Loyola 
Chicago took so long to be any good. You're yeah, in I Chicago. Yeah. I mean, you got players everywhere. Right. You know, yeah. and it took a while, and they draw okay. Now, UIC is coming into the Valley, so you're going to have that television market. You're going to have a lot of uh, Illinois teams yeah. in the market. So you're going to have the Chicago market cornered. Obviously, you're you're very good here with St. Louis with the home base being here. A lot of fans are interested there and Arch Madness and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think SLU probably holding off to see if the Big East expands, and I would imagine that they would be in that conversation to go there. And, by the way, the Big East, I think, is a great fit for St. Louis. Now, do you have a, a great natural rivalry? Probably, well, you, you'd have Xavier, you'd have Marquette, right? Go back to the old MCC days. Right. Butler would be great. DePaul would be great. And then you've got the other pretty big markets, Georgetown. You've got a lot of the same markets that you have in the A-10. St. John's, and the, that's covered by Fordham in the A-10. I, I would be intrigued by it. If you could develop re- half the conference, would be Marquette, Xavier, Creighton, probably St. Louis, Dayton, Bolt, uh, Butler, and DePaul. That'd be pretty fun. Yeah. I'd love it. Yeah. I think it'd be great. And as you said, when you went to the A-10, you didn't really have those natural rivalries. You just yeah. felt like, okay, we're going to get into the East Coast. We're going to be in those markets, those TV markets. Um, but in terms of the travel for SLU, it's got to be tough. Right. Always going up east, that kind of thing. You're kind of used to it now. You go to the Big East, it would make sense. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, did you know that the Winter Olympics are underway? Are you looking forward to anything in the Winter Olympics? We'll talk about what we are, and we want your texts next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You, a free wellness program available in the app today. 804 in St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Danny Mack. Randy Carriker with you. And even though, Dan, the NHL isn't going to present players in the Olympics this year, hockey players, there are some former Blues that are getting opportunities to play in the Olympics. Among them, Adam Cracknell, the former Blue who's playing for Canada. The Blues had Landon Ferraro in their employee employee back in 2016-17. He's also playing for Canada. For the Czech Republic, a lot of uh, Blues fan favorite, Vladimir Sabotka, a guy that uh, a lot of Blues fans thought could replace David Backus when uh, mm. he left as a free agent, when... when Glad he came back. Pateri Lindbaum, former former uh, def- defensive prospect, and also Kenny Agostino, who came up uh, at one point and scored some goals for the Blues playing for Team USA. You've got Jacob De, de La Rose, who was acquired from uh, the Red Wings for Robbie Fabry. He's playing for Sweden. And David Warsawski, who was also was a Blues draft choice. And uh, they took him in the fourth round in 2008 before he played a game in the Blues organization. He was dealt to the Bruins for Sabotka, who wound up being traded in the Ryan O'Reilly trade. So you could say that David Warsawski is a part of the reason that the Blues have Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. I. Uh, you asked the question, am I going to watch the Olympics? Sure you are. Uh, I have not watched a minute of it. Curling? You, you've missed out on curling? Yeah, I, I missed out on it. My uh, desire to watch it is limited. 
I saw the numbers back from the opening ceremonies. They're almost down 50% yeah. live and then the repeat later at night. Um, just not into it, Randy, and for um, multiple reasons. And uh, one of them is it's sports-related is not seeing the Olympic hockey players. Now, if I could see the – no disrespect to the Saboka and De La Rose and some of the others, but if I'm watching Connor McDavid and – you know, some of the other players that are the best in the world competing. My interest level is is higher. I'll probably watch women's hockey. I, I enjoy that. I think it's fun. Uh, in the U.S. and Canada, going back and forth, I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. The other sports I've never really been huge fans of. Just I, re- I really do root for the athletes, all of them, um, because they put so much time and effort into becoming Olympians. It's amazing to be an Olympian. So I, I do pull for them, but... Um, I'm just not. I'm just not drawn in. I'm you know not. What's, uh, uh, amazing about our Olympic team, the women's hockey team, which has already won two games. One goalie, uh, Nicole Hensley, went to Lindenwood. Just made it into the Lindenwood yeah. Hall of Fame. The other goalie, Alex Cavallini, the daughter-in-law of Gino Cavallini, lives here. Loves St. Louis already, and so both goalies for the U.S. women's hockey team are St. Louisans. It's incredible, by the way, what Lindenwood has done with hockey yeah. in this area, whether it's facility-wise or turning out players. Yeah, she's she's amazing. She's mm-hmm. incredible. And you're right, she was just inducted into the uh, Lindenwood uh, Sports Hall of Fame and Lindenwood Hall of Fame. I don't know, where, where are you at? Are you are you going to sit down at, at prime time and watch some of the things that are being offered, or are you going to dig around? I mean, like Sean White, I might watch him. Um, yeah. But there's just not a lot of pull for me. There's just not. I don't, I don't know why. And ordinarily with the Olympics, it takes something, right? Something has to step up. Do, do we have a speed skater that will show up and be a surprise? Sean White at the age of 35, is he going to have one final go-round? Are we going to have a women's figure skater that winds up being great? Those are the events. And th- this is primarily a women's demographic that's watching the Winter Olympics, especially with the figure skating. Yeah, I could see myself winding up watching a few. By the way, I do think that uh, yesterday I was watching the biathlon, which is uh, cross-country skiing and then laying down and shooting, getting up and cross-country skiing again. I think that that would be a much more entertaining sport if there would have to be a swim involved with skis on. In ice, icy water. Yeah, you just want people to go, yeah. just get frostbitten, and and whoever survives survives. Yeah. That's you're in for that. Yeah, those guys are good shooters, by the way. Oh, they're really good. Yeah, there's not an individual, and maybe I'm missing somebody here, but like when the Summer Olympics were going on and Michael Phelps was doing his thing, I would stop to watch Michael Phelps. I would find when he was going to be on a relay or an individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he may, and would I watch swimming any other time? Probably not, Mm -hmm. just to be honest. But when he was in the pool, I wanted to watch him. I wanted to watch in the last several Olympics. I thought it was cool to watch Lindsey Vaughn with the the downhill skiing. Now, did she ever live up to what she was supposed to be? She she was the greatest female skier of all time. But in the Olympics, she never lived up to what the expectations were for her. And a text, by the way, from St. Charles County, we forgot to mention Jinsey Dunn, the defenseman for uh, the U.S. women's hockey team. So I'll be watching that. I'll be, I'll be just out of a level of intrigue watching the men. Timing doesn't work very well, though, for the Olympics being in China. Well, I was just going to ask you, does the Olympics being held in China... 
sour you? Sours me. Yeah, I am. Uh, I, I, in situations like this, I focus on the sports aspect of it. Understood. And not the political, political side and, of it. And yeah. Certainly. Hey, is there a place that does worse things to people? No. <laughs> but I, I try to put that aside in a situation like this. And I know that it's a tough thing for NBC to d- deal with. And they should probably deal more harshly with with some of the humanitarian issues. Tariko addressed yeah. it. Tariko yeah. actually came out and addressed some of the uh, issues, the humanitarian issues happening in the country. Um which I give him credit for. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> it's weird because the IOC going there. I mean, right. come on. Well, and going back there. Exactly. And the Olympics sports in general are supposed to be an escape for us. Well, it's kind of hard to escape with everything that's gone on with China and the USA in the last dozen years. How about our world yeah. in the last two years? Yeah, but you, you look at them specifically because of. The fact that the, our pandemic essentially started there. You go back to the atrocities from Tiananmen Square and the things that uh, they do to people that don't agree with their government. Yeah, there's there's a lot of political things there. And I try to separate that when I'm watching sports. It's not easy all the time. And that's why I was saying before, I, I do cheer for the athletes because they have put so much yeah. into this. I mean, the training, the time. They've given up years of their lives to try to be the best in the world to represent the country. So... I, I certainly pull for them, but the the, the fact uh, of, of that it's held in China is uh, that's problematic, and I think it's problematic for a lot of people. And I think there would have been a little bit higher level of entertainment if we would have had two great ice skaters and one would have had the other whacked in the knee. Well, that would have been that yeah, Tanya. If, mm-hmm. Now, if you would have said Tanya is coming back, she's on a rebound tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd probably watch. Yeah, I, I think I I'm would. in. Yeah. Not, but that, not this. <laughs> she's not walking through that door, Randy. <laughs> no, she's not. That's Dan. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take. Coming up, the Blues are going to be back in action on Thursday. Get back to practice tomorrow. And the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, is going to talk to us about what the Blues need to do in coming back next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Slyman Brothers. Offering everyday low prices, expert advice, and free delivery. Your St. Louis Blues will be back in action on Thursday night at home against New Jersey. And the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joins us now on 101 ESPN. I wonder if Kerbs is going to be able to be mentally engaged when the blues are back at it on Thursday. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Randy, I think with 40 games to go in the regular season and the race that we're going to have mentally engaged will not be a problem. You know, I I hope that I know that'll be the case for you. I hope that's the case for the players. I remember how they came back and granted it was a really long layoff before they went into the bubble, but that team wasn't engaged. And I'm sure they learned their lesson then that this team, especially this way with the, the level of talent and the way they play, they have to be mentally engaged from the start of every single game. Well, they do, but and, and I can understand why the concern would be there based on what we saw after that long break, but the difference is now is they don't have to test every day. They come to the rink now to travel. Uh, they don't. A lot of the COVID protocols, at least from a United States standpoint, have eased off. 
And, and you're back when and you're not playing in Canadian buildings. You're back in front of really big crowds most of the time. So, you know, I, I think that that's going to be a, a huge, huge factor. And um, and and I'm looking forward to it. I if this team can manage to stay pretty healthy here down the stretch, I, they're going to climb. You know, I don't know if they're going to catch Colorado, but it's good to see Colorado finally have to play some games and get caught up to the Blues in terms of games played. But you've got a real good snapshot now in terms of the games played of where you sit and how things are going. And this is going to be a heck of a battle in this division. How do you think, Curbs, uh, the Huso-Bennington uh, goaltending situation kind of plays itself out here in the second half? You know what? You're still going to have enough games, Dan, that you need both of these goaltenders to, to go well. I hope that this was a good reset for Jordan Bennington. You know, I, I, unfortunately, I know that last Calgary game is in everybody's minds, but that was such a bad all-around team game that the battle that Jordan Bennington has, the type of goaltender that he can be, and, and, and the way that he can play, I expect Jordan Bennington to take the net back over. And, Curbs, it seems when we talk about being mentally engaged, it seems to me that Jordan Bennington hasn't lost anything physically. He just needs to get back on his game. Do, do you agree that he, he's essentially in what – is a slump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I think he's, he, there's no doubt his confidence probably isn't as high, you know, as we've seen it at, at, at other times, you know, it, it's just the, the, the weird thing about goaltending and, and you guys have seen this, you know, Danny, you saw when you travel with us early on, you have Roman Turk who plays some great games. And then there's just this one goal that goes in at a bad time. And it seems to be just the worst time in the game. And, and that's what seems to have been happening here. It's, it's sometimes the, the key of when the save is or something like that. And, um, and and he'll be able to battle through it. Now, look, is there something technical? Probably. You know, Joe and, and, and Darren keep talking about being too deep in his net, things like that, where a goaltender ends up being smaller as he leaning forward, whatever it may be. And I am not going to try to break down the, the mechanics of a goaltender <laughs> um, in the National Hockey League. But uh, I'm just going to listen to the experts that actually have played it and do know what they're talking about. But, uh, yeah, is there some things he could work on? Absolutely. But uh, he has room to improve his game, and, and I think that uh, you'll see that in the second half here. He's just The guy's a battler, and that's how he got to where he got to, and, and, and frankly, the Blues need him to be that. It's not that far away, the NHL trade deadline. How aggressive do you think teams are going to be? So will this be, generally speaking, a, a busy deadline and then couple that with the Blues? What do you think they may be like at the deadline? I think this deadline period, uh, rather than just right up against the deadline, but leading into it could be maybe the most intriguing we've seen in the salary cap era. And here's why. You've got about 16 to 18 teams that are butted up right against the cap. And most of those teams are teams, except for maybe the New York Rangers, right, are teams that are, are some of the top teams that expect to compete for a Stanley Cup in the playoffs. You just don't have the cap space to add a player unless you're dealing with an injury situation where somebody's on long-term IR. So if you're going to bring in dollars, dollars have to leave unless you get creative. This could be the year where you see more of those three-team type deals where a trade is made with one team and now two teams are carrying some salary of a player for it to get through and you're trading draft picks to it. So to me, that's factor number one that – could slow down the trade deadline from a standpoint of more deals might have to be done a little bit sooner than just right up against the deadline day. The second thing for me, Dan, is when it comes to, to the St. Louis Blues, you are in a win-now moment. I really believe that. You have a team that is deep 
as, as maybe this team has had in, in, in ages, maybe since, you know, the early 2000s, if not even deeper than that. And to do that, I, I've, I've used this example a lot, but the Dallas Stars win a Stanley Cup because they went out and they traded for Joe Newendike. And to do that, they had to give up Jerome McGinley. The Calgary Flames won a Stanley Cup with the players they got from the Blues, and to get them, they gave up Brett Hall. Look, you go win a Stanley Cup before you worry about whether or not Jake Neighbors, uh, Alexander Bolduke, you know, one of your young goaltenders or somebody like that is going to be a stud and maybe a Hall of Famer somewhere else because you've got a chance to win that cup. And so if there is an opportunity and they can figure out the cap situation, I, I would expect a certain level of aggressiveness, maybe on, especially on the defensive end for the St. Louis Blues come this trade deadline. Curbs, when Jordan Cairo had the great performance in the Winter Classic, we thought, okay, he's approaching superstardom. He obviously is quite visible with two goals and three assists in the All-Star game. He wins the fastest skater competition. I would think that... At this point, among hockey fans, Jordan Cairo has entered the consciousness, uh, both in Canada and the USA. Maybe not among the casual sports fan, but among hockey fans, I would guess most people know who he is now. Yeah, when when everyone's expecting Connor McDavid to win yet another fastest skating contest, and you beat him, that's going to put you on the map. And then, like you said, in, in in the big games, in the big league showcases, he's played really, really well, and had the Central Division won. That final game, he might have been the MVP. Mm-hmm. He might have been an all-star MVP in that situation. So I think it's been a great coming out party for him this year. He still has to focus on the work and the little details that have made it possible. But what a fun, fun situation it has been for him. And, look, you give Jordan all the credit for it because he's done the little things that has been needed to make it happen. But, boy, I give this coaching staff a lot of credit the way they brought this kid along over the last two years. I mean, they, they've had the patience. They've had the coaching. They, they, they've, and, and I talked to Craig Ruby about this. He, he goes, look, each player is different. How you bring them up, how you coach them is different. He goes, but we put expectations on our young players the same as we do our veteran players. And if you meet those expectations, you play. If you don't, you won't play. But you still have to handle some things differently with each guy, and I think they've handled them extremely well with Jordan. The next month is going to be interesting. A lot of games on the road and against the East. So it's imperative to see them improve a little bit, I would have guessed, Curbs, uh, as they head away from Enterprise Center. Yeah, you know, ironically, I guess, in the previous few seasons, you have had a really good road team and maybe not as well at home. And this time it's flipped. I think the change, I really do believe this with this team. The one thing that under Craig Ruby, it's been a tight team. It's been a close team. It's been a team that likes to hang out together. That's been part of the chemistry of this team. I think the changing of the protocols and the fact that just about everybody on this team has had COVID anyway, so they're really relaxed on that front. I think that that's going to help this team when they get out on the road and nobody feeling like they're kind of uh, locked into a jailhouse of a, of a hotel room or something like that. So um, I've got to think their ability to, uh, to to become a better group away from home starts with some of that chemistry, and, and I think some of these new protocols are going to help a lot. Curbs, we're looking forward to hearing you again Thursday night. The Blues back in action against New Jersey. Practice tomorrow for the Blues over at Centene, and looking forward to getting this stretch run going. Thanks so much for the time this morning. All right, guys. Have an awesome week. We'll see you all at the rink later in the week. You bet. See you later. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, with Dan and Randy on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Welcome to the fight on character and small men. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. All right, we have a chance for history today. Josh is back. He has won two in a row over Randy. If he wins today, he goes into the Fight Hall of Fame. Josh, I uh, hope your weekend went well. How are we doing today? I uh, did have a good weekend and, and doing well. I'm ready for it. Were you nervous thinking about this big, big day against Randy Carricker? Yeah, I sat in the corner and cowered all weekend. Excellent. Good. Thinking about this. I figured you did. All right, here we go. Question one, four of the first five picks in the 89 NFL draft went on to become Hall of Famers. Troy Aikman, Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, Deion Sanders. Who is the only one that was drafted in the top five that was a non-Hall of Famer? Was it Blair Thomas, Tony Mandrich, or Jim Everett? Mm. Randy's going to know this one, and I'm going to guess and say Tony Mandrich. All right, number two, there are only two of the original NFL founding franchises still in operation, the now Arizona Cardinals, and what other franchise? Is it the Green Bay Packers, the Cleveland Browns, or the Chicago Bears? All right, can you, I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? There are only two of the original NFL founding franchises still in operation, the now Arizona Cardinals, and what other franchise? The Green Bay Packers, the Cleveland Browns, or the Chicago Bears? Oh, I thought the Cardinals came here from Chicago, which would make me think it's not the Bears. Um, I'll go with the Packers. In 1999, the 99 Jacksonville Jaguars finished 15-3, and including the playoffs, losing all three games that year to the same team. What team was it? Was it the Titans, the Colts, or the Steelers? Some reason Titans sticks out to me. All right. And who was the last MLB pitcher to throw a 10-inning complete game? Was it Cliff Lee, Rich Hill, or Roy Holiday? Oh. I think I remember Cliff Lee doing it. I can't swear I remember. I just the heard other a little guy, ding. So Are you looking up answers here, Josh? No, my my Apple Watch just dinged. All right, his heart rate's going up. Okay, all right, just want to make sure we're on the Tell up and up here. Yeah. So, what, your guess was Cliff Lee, correct? Yeah, Cliff Lee. All right, thank you, Josh. All right, let's bring in Randy. Randall, come on in. Take the mask off. You're now in the studio. You're allowed to take the mask off and say good morning once again to Josh. Josh, good morning. How you doing? Go ahead again. Good morning, Josh, was good morning. How you doing? Great to have you with us. Hope your weekend was good. He it said was, he was cowering you. in a corner preparing for this. I can't imagine. Josh is good. Okay. You ready, Randall? I am ready. Four of the first five picks in the 1989 NFL Draft went on to become Hall of Famers. Troy Aikman, Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, Deion Sanders. Who is the one non-Hall of Famer? Uh, The steroid guy among the group. 
Tony Mandarich. He was a beast. Yeah. Actually wound up having an okay career as a guard for the Colts, too. Yeah. I think he took like five years off yeah. from Green Bay and then went back and uh, played for Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. And by the way, I would have done the same thing if I were the Packers. I would have taken him that day. Well, he was a freak. Yeah. Do you remember? I think it was like when he bench pressed, it was something like the dumbbell bench press world record holder, and he was two back of him. Right. Yeah. And we just didn't know that he was a, you know, we kind of assumed, but we didn't know that the Roids not being available were going to have such an effect on him. His vertical leap was ridiculous, all that stuff. It was something. Just hurts the three of the most, three of like the most generational game changing players of all time go right after him. Yeah. (laughs) Number two, there are only two of the original NFL founding franchises still in operation the now Arizona Cardinals Mm -hmm. and what other franchise? Well, George Hallis founded the league, so I'm going to go with the Bears. Number three. Decatur, Decatur Staley's or something like that? There was, uh, didn't Columbus have one? I think Dayton had one. Canton. Canton Bulldogs. There you go. All right, so 1999, Jacksonville Jaguars. They went 15-3, and Randall, mm-hmm. including the playoffs. That was a record. Losing yeah. all three games to the same team. What team was it? It was... <laughs> Jeff Fisher said, nice to have a home field advantage when he was the coach of the Titans. It's a miracle! Yeah. 15-3, and three, and the Jags lost 3-2. The Titans. And who was the last MLB pitcher to throw a 10-inning complete game? Okay, is this a uh, 10-inning complete game? Hmm. So he he got the win or the loss. And this is... Okay, I'll do the lifeline. Cliff Lee, Rich Hill, or Roy Holiday? Okay, I'm going to leave Rich Hill out of this one. And because of the efficiency... Not that Roy Holiday wasn't really efficient and really good. But because of the efficiency of Cliff Lee... I'll go with Cliff Lee. We have a winner today, Matthew. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Go ahead. Oh. Go crazy, folks! Uh, Go crazy! We gotta stay on clock. Just win, baby. We gotta stay on clock. Dan, it's 839. Oh, okay. We got two minutes. All right, go ahead, Matt. Or I guess I start. Four of the first five picks in the 89 NFL draft went on to become Hall of Famers. Aikman, Sanders, Derek Thomas, Deion Sanders, and it was Tony Mandrich, the one that was not. There are only two of the original NFL founding franchises still in operation. The now Arizona Cardinals, who started as the Chicago Cardinals, and the Chicago Bears is the correct answer. They did start as the Decatur Staley's. Uh, this came up on Twitter because Dick Buckus um always jokes around and says, uh, sucks to be an expansion franchise whenever the Packers lose. Which <laughs> is so, one of my favorite things in the world. I guess you're right. You had, I mean, it was all those teams in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah, that was all them. Okay. And by the way, one of the reasons that the Bidwell family is so enthralled with owning their team and will never sell it is because they're very, very, very proud of the fact that they own one of the flagship franchises in the league. Uh, in 99, it was Tennessee that beat Jacksonville three different times. So Jacksonville went 15-3. and three. It was the Tennessee Titans. And Roy Holiday was the last pitcher mm. to throw a 10-inning complete game. Rich Hill almost did it when he took a no a perfect game, I believe, into the 10th inning before. Um, that was against Pittsburgh, a, wasn't it? Yeah, Pirates outfielder. I can't remember who it was exactly. Jose Tabadon? off him. 
I believe it was. Yeah. Launched one off of him to take it away from him. And I think it was Cliff Lee had one in the mm-hmm. early 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. And then Halliday got his with Toronto. Oh, not seven. With, yeah, it wasn't with the Phillies. I remember that. It was like in the middle. Yeah, 06, 07. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 07. Yeah. All right. There, there you go, go. Randy. So Randy, Randy wins three, four. Thank you, Josh. Josh, right, thanks for playing. You were great. Uh, Josh with us on 101 ESPN. Very, up, Josh is just very, he's business-like. Yeah. It's just a business trip, Randy. Yeah, he's a machine. You know, no you doubt. just you call up, you get on the line, it's just business. Mm-hmm. It's not personal. <laughs> Coming up on 101 ESPN, the Blues are at midseason now, and uh, we're going to give you our midseason grades for your St. Louis Blues for each group on the team. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Your St. Louis Blues have reached the midpoint of the season, and right now they're fourth place in the Central Division with a record of 26-13-5. They've played 44 games, so essentially they are at the midpoint of the season. 41 is the midpoint, but we're going to say the All-Star breakdown is the midpoint of the season for the purposes of giving the Blues grades for their forwards, defensemen, goalies, coaching, and front office. Okay, so where do you want to start? I, I would like to start with the forwards. Okay. Uh, I think the forwards have been great. I would give them an A collectively. I think there's a couple of guys that have disappointed me. Bozak, uh, Neil probably would be on my outside looking in. But how how can you not be excited? But, you know, what you've seen from Jordan Cairo, he's on pace for 86 points. Barbashev, how about the way he's that he's playing this year? He's got 17 minutes a game. That's a jump of four or five minutes from a year ago. Buchnevich, a steal for the Blues. Um, he may get 80 points. I still question, why isn't he a Ranger? How, how does how that, happen? that happen? <laughs> I, I don't get yeah. it. Vladimir Tarasenko, maybe the biggest question going into the season. What would it be like with Vladdy and requesting a trade? He's got 17 points in his last 12 games. Robert Thomas has been maybe the most improved St. Louis mm-hmm. Blue. Braden Shen is just tough, played with broken ribs, dealt with sickness. David Perron, same thing, dealing with concussion and sickness. And Ryan O'Reilly, your captain, has been steady. So I think the uh, the forwards get an A for me. And, Dan, I'm going to give them an A-. minus. The Blues are sixth in the league in scoring at 3.43 goals a game. And they've gotten really good work out of a lot of forwards. As you mentioned, Kairou, 17 goals. They're going to wind up with probably at least 10 uh, 10 goal scores. Kairou has 17. Tarasenko has 15, as does Bushnevich and Barbie and Saad. All of those guys are at 15 or more, and that's five forwards. Uh, O'Reilly and Shen are already at 10, so that's seven forwards already with 10 or more. Perron has eight. You know he's going to get there. Plus, uh, you've got Robert Thomas with five goals, and you hope that he can get up there and uh, one of the other guys. So I'm going to go with an A minus simply because as much as I've enjoyed the scoring, and in part, this is due to the injuries, but they haven't forechecked like we expect the Blues to do on a regular basis. Okay, let's go to the defense. I'm going to give them a B. Um, I think there's certain guys that have really stood out for me. I love watching Justin Falk. I play He's really him. good. He's just a steady, really above-average player in any scenario that you put him in. Five-on-five, five, you put him on the power play. I love watching him play. 
uh, crude to me has settled in. You know, it was tough mm-hmm. to come in last year and, and just try to, with all the COVID protocols, understand your teammates. You get a big contract. We know he's a special teams guy, but I think he settled in. Mikola has been interesting to me, and he could be a factor down the stretch. So he was on the outside looking in, and now you got him in the top four. How and about that? He's a guy to me. He's always had ability. Obviously, he's got something that you can't teach in size, right? Yes. He can skate. He can handle the puck. For me, it's just a matter of him getting reps, getting experience. Yeah. I think that he can. I, he's going to be a really good player. I think. I, I think so too. Now, is he going to be Jay Bomeister? No, I don't think he is. But is he going to be a really effective top four defenseman? I think for a long time. Yeah, he is. I don't know if you're with me on this. There's sometimes I watch Pareko and I'm like, I love watching that guy play. And there's other times I say, I wish he was off the ice. I, I, I go back and forth with it. And I think, Randy, in my opinion, is that because of his size, and he's a very good skater. Yep. Um, and a great shot. And we expect way more than maybe we should out of him. And the contract. He got a long-term right. contract, pays him a lot of money, expectations. Now, there's responsibility that comes with the deal, but... I think maybe, and myself included, we all expect more than what we should from him. Here's my thing. He has a skill set that would lend one to believe that he could be a Norris Trophy winner. But yeah, I, he, he hasn't maxed out that skill set yet. Yeah. But I think part of it, though, is who you're pairing him with. Mm-hmm. And if you find that guy, and that's why I think the defense could be a different grade by the end of the year. If you go out and get somebody and you pair him with Pareko that is a stay-at-home defenseman that is big, size, um, that grit, the toughness Mm -hmm. that we talk about that you want on the back end, then I think it's a different player maybe that we're watching. Uh, Because he hasn't, and I don't think Krug has maxed out their abilities. They haven't done what I expect that they can do. That's a compliment to them, that I think they can do better. I'm going to go with a B-minus for the defenseman. I'm with you on Falk. To me, he's a legitimate top pairing guy. Yeah, oh yeah. Now, and and I really like him. The the kids Bortuzzo's been in and out of the lineup as you would expect that he Perunovic. would be. Perunovic has been mostly out, and you'd like to see him develop a little bit more and get more. But out of the top four, I I think that Krug can be even better. I really like where Falk is, and I am happy with the trajectory of Mikola. And like I said, with Pareko, I just think there's more there that he can get out. Now let's talk about the front office. So the front office, um, it's an incomplete because you haven't gone through the trade mm-hmm. deadline, but getting Buchnevich was a big deal. And signing Saad. Yeah, Saad's re- been fine too. Because you didn't really effectively replace Alexander Steen last year. Good point. Ironically, you go get a guy that wears the same number, that plays the same kind of game, doesn't do exactly the same things as Alexander Steen, but plays a 200-foot game, which is perfect for what Craig Berube wants. And in my opinion, what Armstrong put together during the offseason, and we haven't seen everything yet, but the group of forwards is the quintessential Craig Berube group of forwards. Well, the other thing, too, that I would look at is that the front office, I say it's incomplete, but if I had to give them a grade, it's an A because you had to dip down into your minor leagues consistently. Mm, the depth is amazing. Yeah, so they, they obviously drafted and have, are developing some players that could compete at this level and can compete to get you points. And when they guys were banged up, whether it was Perron or Shen or you had hit with COVID, there were those that stepped up, like Brown, others, that uh, that played well. Uh, obviously, Lindgren, you know, mm-hmm. between the pipes. I mean, it was it was a situation where they, this team could have gone south in a hurry, and they didn't. So you got to give them credit. And then I, I'd say the coaching is 
is an A for sure Definitely. with what they've dealt yeah. with this year. Yeah. I'm going to go A- minus on the front office because we all talk during the offseason about getting a bigger defenseman, and they still have that need. And I know that the Blues were up against the cap, and it was going to be tough to find that guy. And they were going to evaluate the likes of Mikola during this season. But it would have been nice because we talked about it to have that veteran big defenseman that they don't have right now. So I'm going to go A- minus on the front office, and I'm going to give them extra credit, by the way, for the depth that they put together. And I'm with you on the coaching staff. And it's not just the day-to-day and coaching through the pandemic and all the different players they've had. But when you look at the ascent of Cairo and the ascent of Thomas and the ascent yeah. of Mikola, the way that they're bringing players along at the NHL level, we, we know coaches and managers, both of us, that say, I don't want to develop guys at the major league level. Well, Baruby and Steve Ott and Alexander and Mike Van Ryan, they're doing that. Yes. Um, and so I, I give the coaching, I mean, close to an A-plus. I, again, I, yeah. I maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but when they were hit, and they were hit hard, it was like watching Springfield out there mm-hmm. playing NHL yeah. games. They found ways to win and didn't use it as an excuse. And Craig Berube's done a great job. I mean, you go to the hand pass game with San Jose. We're not talking about it. It's over. Move on. And that's yep. what a coach does. You can't dwell on those things, and you got to make sure that you get your guys ready to play. They had them ready to play. So they picked up points, and now they're in the hunt for uh, getting in the playoffs in a high seed. So I, I, I'm with you, though. I think that they have to get somebody on defense. Yep. And it was interesting what Chris Kerber had to say, like, do you give up a young player could be a stud to because go out and get that guy. It, you have to work the cap. Yeah. And if they're going to go out and get a guy like Chikrin, they would have to give up a Buchanevich, which I'm not going to do. All right, one other thing. I've got to, I got to give the goalies a C because your number one yeah. guy, he's been a D. He, he's in the 40s in goals against and save yeah. percentage. And Huso has been a very pleasant surprise. What Charlie Lindgren did, what uh, the Gillies did in his game was amazing. Hofer was up. Yeah, and he gave you some good work. But your main guy has been, well, he hasn't been starter quality. Mm-hmm. And so Bennington can be and will be better. But at midseason, I have to give Bennington a D. And then I'm going to, uh, because of what Huso has done, I'll go up to, I'll go up to C plus for the whole gang. Yeah, I mean Huso individually probably an A. Yeah, especially he when he's at home. Mm-hmm. He's lost one time in the last calendar month, just our calendar year, just about. So um, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting how the coaching staff approaches this. Do they say if we are to win a Stanley Cup, it's got to be Jordan Bennington because he's done it before and we've given him the money and the contract, or is it one of those situations where they say? Hey, this guy just isn't on it, and we got to go with Billy Huso. Right, the hot guy. Yeah. yeah. It'll be amazing. Those are our grades for the Blues at the midpoint of 2021-22. Coming up by the end of this week, Dick Vermeil should be a Hall of Famer. The former Rams coach, our Super Bowl coach here in St. Louis, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle is on vacation. Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker with you. It's 9 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and St. Louis's head coach, Dick Vermeil, is kind enough to join us. Always great to talk to you, Coach. Good morning. How are you doing? 
I'm doing fine, Randy. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing wonderful, thanks. And I'm excited for you. I'm nervous for you. Do you have any nerves as you await the vote on your Hall of Fame status? And you're going to get in. I'm just nervous about it. Well, (laughs) there aren't any guarantees. You know that. There's only been 15 coaches put in the Hall of Fame in the last 33 classes. So it isn't a guarantee. So is this something that you've thought about, though, over the years? No. I started thinking about it because it was mentioned to me by many people, other than family members, just friends in coaching, uh, coaches in coaching, coaches in the Hall of Fame, uh, and coaches I coached against had mentioned to started mentioning it to me uh, after we won the Super Bowl. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's never really been uh, a discussion. I, I got more serious in my regard to my thinking about it last year when I knew that I was in the group that was considered last year in fact the last two years and you know and then jimmy johnson went in very deserving bill cower went in very deserving tom flores went in very deserving so i started thinking about it then well i says it looks like i might have a chance someday and you're such a beloved figure among everybody in the coaching industry all the players that you coached all the media that you worked with i think it's just the right thing and from your family's perspective carol and the kids I just want to see everybody that surrounds you be able to celebrate you again. Well, that's awfully nice. You know, that's nice. And I know you're sincere. I know you well enough to know that. But, uh, you know, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, I understand. Maybe it'll be another time. Because I'll tell you this. when I, I've, I've gone in it and really evaluated. When you think about Mike Holmgren, 17 seasons, two Super Bowl teams, you know, uh, 12 playoff seasons, you think it. Mike Shanahan, you think of Dan Reeves, 23 seasons, 201 wins. You think of Schottenheimer, 205 wins. God, Tom Coughlin, George Seifert. There's a lot of guys deserving, and hopefully if I get in, these guys will follow me. No doubt about it. Hey, Coach, I I saw a feature on you on NFL Films uh, about what you're most proud of, and you said it was getting players to do things that they didn't think they could do. How did you go about that? Well, I think positive reinforcement is and, and selling them the value of hard work and teaching them that hard work is not a form of punishment. It's a solution to solving their problems and reaching their goals, you know. And uh, uh, sometimes they fight you on it. I, You know, my first year, I can remember with the Rams, the OTAs we had <laughs> before anybody half the time we didn't have enough guys to practice because that no one showed up. <laughs> right, yeah. So, so you know, it, it, we had to change the environment there and uh, way p- players sink. And, uh, you know, we were very fortunate because I surrounded myself with so many good people and had such great support from the ownership and the management team, John Sean, Jay Zygmunt, Charlie Army, John Becker. These guys, uh, we, we built a really nice together organization, you know. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, I remember on the day you got hired, I asked you, can you still build that family atmosphere like you had in Philadelphia? And, and you told me, yeah, kid, kids want to be coached. Players want to be coached. But the, the guys that want to be good or great want to be coached. And I think that's one thing that we don't talk about a lot is that there are some guys that just are happy getting an opportunity but aren't really intent upon being great. Well, you know, sometimes kids show up to you with a distorted ego, 
okay, with an air of arrogance. They have arrived. They are what they are, and uh, they're not used to uh, uh, raising their standards to what is good enough. You know, in the NFL, no matter how good you get out of college uh, performing or how well you played there, you got another level to move, you know, up. And uh, it was our job as coaches to help them be the best they could be. And the only way I know how to do that is to work them. You know, and the disadvantage of new coaches today, they can't work any different than the teams that have already beaten them. You know, uh, they have to, it's all standardized by the players union. So we could not do today what we did with the Rams. You remember our first two years at the Rams, Mm -hmm. the length of, well, we never took the pads off. The double days with pads, both practices, and these kinds of things. Uh, those brand players and my old legal players laugh about how they do it today. But they're doing it for a reason, and I'm sure there are many good reasons. But uh, it hurts the coach taking over a losing team today, okay? Because the only way he can catch up is get better personnel, and it takes a while to get better personnel. Coach, outside of winning the Super Bowl, what are you most proud of in particular with your time here in St. Louis? Well, uh, God, I would say uh, the the relationship I developed with my team and staff, I'd say the uh, being the only undefeated team there uh, in, you know, uh, 1999, 6-0, because that completed my career because – uh, at the Eagles at one time, we were the only undefeated team. And later at the Chiefs, we were the only undefeated team. So I can say that I coached three teams coming out of training camp that were the only undefeated teams. And that I think that adds credibility to how we coached them in training camp. Do you still uh, talk to some of the, the St. Louis players you hear from those guys nonstop? Yeah. I talked to DeMarco not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hear from them, you know. I don't like to impose on their private time. I, you know, I, I stay in touch with Kurt. I stay in touch with Trent a lot because, you know, those kinds of guys, uh, I know what they're doing. I, uh, Mike Grudadoria, I'm going to go speak at his high school coaches banquet uh, for him. You know, uh, those relationships to me, mean the world, Al Saunders, you know, Jim Hannafin, I saw him every year. God bless him. These kind of guys, you know, Peter Junta, John Bunting, uh, Mike Martz. I stay I send Mike some wine. So, and he's not a big wine. But I want to pay my debt to those guys. Coach Dick Vermeil with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Coach, let's talk about this game coming up. The Bengals are going to play at L.A. in the Rams' home stadium. How about that? The the Rams get to play in their home stadium for the Super Bowl. I think that's an, about the only real advantage they have. I think the teams are pretty evenly matched. Though I think if you take every category of the game and combine them offensively and defensively together, which really gives you a true picture of strength. I think they're the stronger team of the two. Now, does that mean they're going to win? You know, you only have to be the best team game day. Kansas City is better than Cincinnati, but they weren't game day, okay? But if they played them four times, they'd beat them three times, in my opinion. And I think the Rams are the better team, but it's it's a, a small margin. And, Coach, I go back to what you did here in assembling talent and your third wide receiver was better than the other team's third corner. Your fourth wide receiver was better than the other team's fourth corner. And that's kind of what the Bengals are putting together, isn't it? With Chase being almost unstoppable and you've got a guy like Higgins, uh, you've got a guy like Boyd and and the tight end. They've got a lot of weapons for John, uh, for uh, Joe Burrow. No question they do, but the Rams have the same weapons. 
<laughs> yeah. What's going to happen is uh, which one of those guys that exploits his talent makes a big play and there's no penalty on it. Let's say the Rams make a huge play with their great wide receiver, Cooper Cup, and it's called back because someone was holding, you know, or the vice versa. It happens to the, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I think those kind of things are going to make a difference in the game. Coach, if, if you got the, the chance to make the case for Torrey Holt being an NFL Hall of Famer, what would you say? He's a, he is a Hall of Famer. I've been around enough of them, you know. I've directly coached 10 Hall of Famers and five others as an assistant coach. So I know what Hall of Famers look like, and he is one. And I, I've, I have put that down in writing to the committee. He's been in the finals a couple times. I think he's due, but he's going to get in. I just can't predict when hopefully this year. And Coach, if that happens, it'll be Tory and Isaac and Orlando and Marshall and Kurt. I don't know that there's ever been, I know that there are teams that have five Hall of Famers on their offense, but I don't know that there's ever been a more explosive group than the group that you put together here in St. Louis. Well, you know, that's why I'm a nominee. I have a nomination for the Hall of Fame, okay? That's why I was Coach of the Year. That's a beautiful reflection on my personnel department, Jay Zygmunt, general manager. You know, we forget Ray Agnew came in, in that, uh, uh, too the year before. I mean, tremendous contribution. You know, and, and Charlie Army and John Becker and all those guys, they worked in my coaching staff. That's a reflection of an organization more so than just me. It was my job to put them together and get them to work together and create an environment in which they enjoyed working in, you know, and then have the discipline that would made it be consistent, you know. Coach, as you reflect on specifically your time in St. Louis, and now you've had time, a lot of time, to, to kind of take it all in, think about the memories, and you, you sit down with your family, you talk about certain things. What comes to mind for you and your family and your time that you spent here in St. Louis? I think, I think the first thing I would say is going through the struggle the first two years and not giving up and not, not, not blinking. Just keep grinding, you know, and the players gradually developed that attitude. And I knew going into that third season, we were a good football team. I knew, I told John Shaw that. He said, don't tell me that. I've been told that too many times. <laughs> John, I've been around. I've been, I've seen playoff teams. I, I know what good teams look like. And this is a good football team. It's being well coached by my staff. There's good discipline. There's good morale. And if we're fortunate, we're going to be very competitive. When uh, Trent went down, yeah, we stunk a little bit. I mean, that struck us really bad. And but due to my coaching staff and you know a guy named Kurt Warner, <laughs> up, uh, you know he that group made us all look probably smarter than we really are. But I don't know if there's ever been an offensive team that had five Hall of Famers all have great years on the same year. <laughs> yeah, they were fantastic. Coach, a couple more quick things. How is L.A. going to set up for you? Are you going to be in a hotel room waiting for a knock on the door? You know, I'm not sure of the mechanics. I really am not, and I'm not kidding you. I'm not sure of the mechanics. Okay. And then i got to ask about Vermeil Wines. You can get them at vermeilwines.com, and I know you guys are always on an upward trajectory. How are things coming, and have you worked your way past the pandemic and got things rolling again? We're in the playoffs for the first time. Love okay. it. Took 13 years to get in the playoffs. I'd have been fired a long time ago. <laughs> it's good to own the franchise. 
our business is doing well. We're over 425 club members now, and it, it keeps going up a little bit every month. And uh, we know what we're doing now. Okay, we 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 corrected all our mistakes, handled adversity, have the right people position doing their job, enjoying coming to work, and we're getting it done. And our winemakers are making tremendous wines, so we're we're very pleased. Our yeah. only negative was the 2020. We lost all our red grapes due to smoke damage with the major forest fire there. I also lost the home I rent when I go out there. Oh. So, well, we're glad that the wine has bounced back, and we're glad that you found a, a place to stay out there. Coach, you can't imagine how much we're rooting for you here in St. Louis. Looking forward to Thursday. We love you, and thanks for taking some time with us. Good luck. Oh, great to be with you. You know that. Take care. Yeah, and we'll see you in Canton, by the way. All righty. Bye-bye. <laughs> See you later. That is Coach Dick Vermeil joining us on 101 ESPN. Boy, we learned a lot from Coach over uh, the, oh. his three years here in St. Louis yeah. and since. I, uh, I, I got to wonder, and you probably know the answers to all the background on this, but I always wonder, what if he stayed another year or two in St. Louis? What happens to the Rams? It'd be interesting. Yeah. The, the thing was, those defensive players just reached the end of the road. Yeah. And he would have stuck with them. He was loyal to those guys. And I don't know that even if they would have kept the defensive staff together, that they would have been able to get production out of that group of players. The amazing thing, too, I mean, we talk about the Hall of Famers that are on that team. And, yes, he was blessed to walk in and and the, the, the front office did a good job of getting the right players and, and surrounding them with it. But he goes to Kansas City and goes 13-3. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, one-trick pony here. He he took over that team and turned that thing down. He turned it around, turned it around after really moribund franchise, And it had been down after the Schottenheimer era, which yeah. was a good era, and turned it around fairly quickly. Yeah. They go 13-3 and three with Trent. So he can quote, he can flat-out coach. Coming up, another of our favorite, co- favorite coaches, Rick Venturi, will preview the Super Bowl for us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman is on vacation. Dan McLaughlin in for Michelle with Randy Carricker. And one of our great former teammates and one of our all-time favorites is Rick Venturi, who's now the radio analyst for the Indianapolis Colts. He's here to help preview Super Bowl 56 on 101 ESPN. Coach, good morning. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. I'm glad you waited a month to call for me. It's take it's taken that long for me to get over that meltdown that the Colts had in the last two weeks. But, you know, and, and after a Sunday of no football, man, am I ready for that Super Bowl. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Coach, I was – I really seriously did say, should I text him or not? Because I, I, I know how hurt you were, and I didn't even have to talk to you. I know how hurt you were by those last two games by Indy. Oh, I was just so tanked that last week, and I, I let it be known too. What well, you know about me? I'm not. I'm unfiltered, so you know. Basically, I let it be known. I vented it and kind of got rid of it. But uh, now, now you move on to you know. And the NFL's had some great weekends. I mean, we've had some of the greatest games in history, greatest weekends, and so you know, we really look forward to Sunday. We played the Rams early, so I, I know them pretty well. And then I studied Cincinnati in the last week, assuming that we would probably go to to uh, Kansas City or Cincy. So I'm pretty up to speed with them too. Uh, they're they're a lot they're a lot more similar and statistically a lot closer, I think, than people think. Who do you like this weekend and why? 
Well, you, you know, the analyst in me, the, the, the analytic guy in me that, you know, looks at numbers and looks at everything, Dan, I, I, you know, you probably like the Rams. But the mojo uh, that Cincinnati has going right now, uh, you know, Burrow is just, you know, he, I, I think, I believe it or not, I, I think he's Tom Brady with wheels, to tell you the truth. I, you know, and the way he's playing and kind of the momentum they have going, you, you can't count them out. I, I think the biggest key uh, for both teams, really, because when you kind of look at their strengths and weaknesses, they're not that dissimilar. The biggest key is which team can establish a bit of a running game, not a balanced, you know, I'm not a balanced guy. It's not a 50-50 game, but which team can establish the threat of the run? Neither one of them run it very well. Both teams on defense rush the passer tremendously well. They have, you know, the the uh, the Rams, you know, they obviously have Donald and Floyd and Vaughn Miller. And then on the other side, kind of under the radar, is Hendrickson with 15 and a half sacks, for Cincy as well as Hubbard on the other side. So, you know, that's the strength of their team. Uh, But I think the key element here is can Cincinnati control Aaron Donald? Uh, I don't know that they can. The right guard situation for Cincinnati and their whole right side of their offensive line is their Achilles heel. You know, and the the right guard, uh, uh, Denje, um, and uh, the, the other kid, Carmen, whoever plays there, and even Prince at right tackle. But the two guards are awful, to put it mildly. And there you're sitting there with, with Donald. So it's going to be really important that since he can establish some run, uh, can do a good job with screens, because unless they full turn the protection, I, I think he's in the backfield every down. So, I mean, I think it's critical, you know, who can establish the run. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, the Rams probably on paper are statistically better, but it's not drastic except for giving up sacks. Cincinnati's like 30th, you know, the kid has been hit and hit and re-hit, and, uh, and the Rams are like five. So, uh, like I said, I'm going back. I think those are the keys. And, Coach, you talked about establishing the running game, and let's start with Cincy because it seems to me that I'm with you on the Bengals' offensive line. The only way you're going to give yourself an opportunity to get the ball downfield to chase is by getting the running game going going play action, right? No, that's right, Randy. You're right, you're right on that. If you, if you watch the game, and I do think Cincinnati's running game has gotten a little bit better in the playoffs. I mean, you know, big win, obviously, an arrowhead. And that running game kind of developed in the second half uh, with uh, with Mixon. Um, if you watch the first half, I mean, they were throwing three step drop, getting it out as quick, and you can only go you know you can only go so long with that because you're going to have a penalty along the way, you're going to have a, a, a tip ball, something is not going to happen right, and so there's no question about it. You've got to neutralize Donald. I mean, Donald is the most impactive defender in the National Football League, without a question. And the three technique measures right up with that right guard deficiency. So, you know, they've got to control him. And, you know, if you run the ball and screen pass a little bit, you want to get him on his heels. The one thing you don't want that Ram front four doing, you know, is getting their, you know, three out of the four guys putting their hand in the dirt and just coming 100 miles an hour. And then the other side, I wanted to find out from you, Coach, why the Cincinnati defense has been able to step up in the second half against Tennessee, against Kansas City, and can they do it against a team like the Rams? 
Well, it's going to be interesting because, you know, both teams have great skilled players. I mean, the Rams, you know, I talk about the most impactive defensive player. Uh, you know, along uh, as far as non-quarterbacks go, I think Cooper Cup is the most impactive offensive player, probably with our kid Jonathan Taylor, even though we're not in it. Um, and Stafford is an elite quarterback, just like Joey is. One is an elite veteran, one is an elite young kid. Um, I think Cincinnati, I thought the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati basically adjusted in midstream last week against Kansas City and may have done the best job that I've ever seen in years. He went to a much more of a mush rush, uh, four-man, three-man, keep him in the pocket. He got away from the zone so people could run away on the scrambles. They locked him up in there, and they did a magnificent job. You're, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna have to do the same thing. Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing, I think, with the Rams is you don't – you can't give up the big one. They keep getting the big play, particularly to Cup. you got to make them work like hell. Make sure they don't get any running game going so you can get those two edge rushers going. See, Hendrickson, the one thing the Bengals did in the offseason, obviously the system works through the draft. I mean, by losing and losing, you end up with Burrow and Chase you know, and Higgins and Boyd and, you know, all those guys that, they, you know, Hubbard, all those guys are high draft picks. It's a system thing. But what Cincinnati did that people don't realize, and it's uncharacteristic for them, is that they made some really good offseason moves on defense, you know, uh, again, starting with Hendricks, and I loved him. He has 15 and a half sacks, a kid from New Orleans. Plus they had, a, you know, they have several other guys that they brought in. And their defense is underrated, in my opinion. But they did a great job. But you got to keep, you got to take away Cup number one. You got to compete for the 50 50 ball with Beckham, no runs. And then you got to keep pressuring Stafford. I really like Stafford. I always said to you, Stafford's the most underrated quarterback in the league. They came in here a couple years ago, Detroit, and worked against us for two days. You know, I spent one day watching our offense and then the second day watching our defense. And I don't think I don't think the ball hit the ground for Stafford the whole practice. To be honest with you, most accurate, tough kid competitor. The only thing that the only caveat with him, as I see it, is he's one of those guys that will try to win the game no matter what. And I've seen him force it into a pep rally. <laughs> you got you know that's that's the one thing you got to do is keep playing, keep playing. Don't give him anything easy, and hope that you can get him to give you one of those turnovers. He's still, as good as he is, there's still a lot of interceptions in mm -hmm. his career. Hey, Coach, having uh, spent time in St. Louis, and you know all about the fan base here, you can understand where, like a St. Louis football fan, you know, it's kind of a, you're, you're emotional, you know. You, you, do you hate Absolutely. the Rams? Do you like the Rams? You know, all that kind of stuff. What, what would you say to a, a football fan, an NFL fan here in town that has to watch the Rams in the Super Bowl at their home stadium in L.A. this weekend? Well, you know, if, you know, I, I know, I know, it still stings with me. I know that, and uh, I can't imagine anybody in St. Louis pulling for the Rams. I may be wrong on that. <laughs> I may be wrong on that, but I, I really can't imagine that. And you've got kind of a storybook team to pull for. I mean, who doesn't? Who can't pull for the Bengals, who haven't even been here since '88, and they have a young kid who could become the face of the NFL. You know, you know, and you want him to become the face at quarterback. So it's very difficult. The only thing I'll say for the Rams, you know, and I have to say this as an analyst, not emotionally, because you know when I, you know, when I hear Stan and some of those guys talk, it's hard to take. But 
I will say this, that the day they hired Sean McVay, who I know really, really well, I've known him since he was young, he's still young, but since he was really young, is they have turned that program around. And the one thing that they've done, and Randy can remember this, he may be the only guy like myself, is, you know, they've kind of done it the way George Allen did it back mm-hmm. with the yep. uh, back with the Rams. I mean, it's, you know, it's all all the chips are in. It's win now, and I'm not against that. I, I think rebuilding programs are really overrated, you know, as somebody said about the Cubs a long time ago. But, you know, I, I just think that they have done, you know, they've, they've said what they are. And, you know, we never had that in St. Louis other than when Dick was there. When Dick was there, we had a, you know, we had a leader. We had a singular focus. You know, and then and then around that, though, we never really had that. And I will say that at this point, the Rams really are, they, they know what they're doing. They're going to do it. They're going to ransom the future and not worry about in the past. You know what? And if they can get a world's championship, I mean, McVay has been now to the big game twice. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been there twice. So, But I give him a lot of credit, I think. And if you look at it, if you look at the the NFL today, anybody that's been on the bus with him for five minutes gets a head job. It doesn't matter. You get, true. you get you get a head job if you're a passenger. You know he's he's the driver, and those guys just get hired. And you know I understand that. I mean you want to you want to hire a guy with a winning pedigree. Hey, coach, uh, one more quick thing here. You mentioned you think the Burrow is Brady with wheels. A lot of comps to Joe Montana as well. You coached against Montana. Are, are we seeing uh, the the development of a great young one in Joe Burrow here? I think you are. There's no doubt in my mind what he did at LSU, you know, after kind of sitting around at Ohio State, you know, taking LSU to the to the heights he did, and then to see what's happened to them since, to see what he's done early in Cincinnati. Uh, this kid is just special. He has, you know, he has the athletic tools. There's any question about that. But like Montana and like Brady, you know, and this is cliche but he has it. There's just something about him when he walks up to the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, and I think both in Brady's case, obviously, you know, going to the third day of the draft, and Montana was, what, a three? You know, and they were threes because they didn't have great arm strength, and people could not judge the character of the man, the charisma of the man, till they got in the NFL. You know, Joey, he, you know, there's, there are people that have questioned that he has the gun, but he has, Randy, what you can't teach him. People go into, they're all hung up on athleticism, but he has Sunday accuracy. Sunday accuracy, he's tough, charismatic, and he can play. Now, the only thing I worry about, Joe, for the long-range future is if Cincinnati doesn't get a better offensive line, his future is in question from the standpoint of getting hit too much. He was hit. He was sacked nine times in the Tennessee game and still won. I mean, you can't – that can't keep happening. And I do – I am concerned about that. They've got him a better defense. They've got terrific skill players for him. But that offensive line is a sieve. Rick Venturi, you're the best. Thanks so much for the time. Always appreciate it. And uh, we will be communicating very soon. All right. I'll talk to you later, Andy. All right. See you, Coach. Thank you. That is the great Rick Venturi on 101 ESPN. And, boy, what a great show he and Zach had here on 101 ESPN. And what a great football analyst he is. Miss listening to him. Yeah, me too. He's great. That was the Coach on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, with Dan and Randy on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. And it is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Danny. Yes, sir. Eli Manning, who's in broadcasting, he does... uh, Eli's places for his brother's production company does the uh, the Monday Manning night cast. Manning cast. He was asked if Tom Brady will follow him into broadcasting, and Eli said he's not going into broadcasting. He's too good, meaning that he's got other stuff going on. He's got his own production company, Tom Brady does, plus he's got TB12 and all of that. Did you think or do you think that there's a chance that Tom Brady winds up in broadcasting? I think there's a an avenue to that would I expect him to be an analyst every Sunday or Monday night football no I did read reports where there were some of the networks were willing to offer him 25 million dollars a year to do it now that may change his mindset mm-hmm. in doing it um he'd be really good I think he'd be must-see TV like I, I've been pleasantly surprised with Wayne Gretzky I, I didn't yeah, think too. I didn't think that was going to be a good fit now you had the greatest player in my opinion of hockey doing this but I He's been interviewed so much and is so buttoned down to where he's not going to ruffle feathers. I thought, well, I don't know if I really want that. I mean, I get to watch Wayne Gretzky. That's great, but he's going to say anything. And there are times he comes out with an opinion that I I respect, obviously, mm-hmm. but that he's been more than capable of going outside the box and just, you know, the yes, no answers, 110%. We're going to try our best. You know, that's what I thought I was going to get. I think some people feel maybe they would get that with Brady. And I don't think Brady wants to have anything that would diminish his image. Right. I mean, you're in live television. Things happen. And Joe Montana was obviously the biggest star when he retired, and he was just awful yeah. on TV as an analyst. You're killing me, Small. Well, one guy that would have the opportunity to hire Tom Brady is Jimmy Pitaro, the much maligned president of ESPN which, by the way, had record ratings for January. And today, Pataro has signed a new three-and-a-half-year contract to remain in charge of the mothership. Yep, and a lot lot of things are changing with streaming services Mm -hmm. and a la carte. So, you know, the younger generations of fans that take in their sports or their programs, it's it's streaming, and they want to be at the forefront of that, and they feel that he's the guy to do it. And ESPN Plus is far and away the number one yes. sports streaming avenue don't you think though that we're going to see apple or we're going to see obviously next thursday amazon yeah next thursday uh season football season amazon is in apple gets in maybe netflix gets in massive budgets to be able to try to do something like that i totally expect that to happen i would be shocked if it didn't yeah and especially because amazon is doing it apple and netflix should get in on that because there's money to be made from sports um, it is interesting. You know, a lot. Drew Brees took a lot of heat going back to the Tom Brady thing on his final game that he was in the booth. And it's not the same. And I, I think Tim McCarver was the best ever that's done this, where you have your playing career, and he had a great playing career, played in four different decades, world championship teams, primary catcher for Bob Gibson, Steve Carlton. So his playing career is highly decorated. But yet when – and I've had long conversations with Tim – when that chapter of your life, your professional life closes, you become a broadcaster. Yep. You know, you you have to work at doing the job. It's not just showing up and saying, well, I'm 
Tom Brady, I'm Drew Brees, I'm Tim McCarver. And yes, that gets you in the door and it's got cachet, but you got to work at it. And you have to be willing to criticize people that were your teammates three years ago. Yes, that's part of it. And uh, Tim was never shy about doing that. No. You're killing me, Smalls. So, Dan, the NFL had the Pro Bowl in Vegas. Great place to always get a group of players together. Seems like a logical place to go. It really does. Before the game, I thought it was after the game, before the game, Alvin Kamara of the Saints goes into a club, beats the daylights out of somebody. Mm -hmm. The person winds up in the hospital. Kamara, after the game, gets arrested for assault. So did he play in the game? He played in the game, yeah. So he played in the game. Caught like got... five passes, had a couple carries. Yeah, really. And mm-hmm. and beat the guy up in the club before the game started. It's a hell of a trip. <laughs> it's really impressive. I wonder how he did gambling, if he was gambling. I have to wonder, do you think between, like, when he got to the game or anything like that, do you think he, like, texted anybody in, the, on, in like, from the Saints, like, hey, heads up. Might be some uh, news coming up. Yeah. I'm going to need some petty cash a little bit later today because I'm not trying to sleep in a jail cell tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Very impressive. And yes. we, we have one more here. You're killing me, Small. Uh, speaking of football players having fun and football fans having fun, apparently there are going to be record numbers of exotic dancers in Los Angeles this oh, week. Okay. Uh, people well, they're that trying try, to go through school, right? Young ladies trying to put their their uh, themselves through college. Right. And so that's what they're going to do is they're going to go down to L.A. They're going to uh, dance at a club. Make a few bucks and then come home. Will we have uh, any events off the field in L.A. this week? Or are we, we going to be quiet? We will have events off the field you in L.A. think so? Starting yeah. tonight, maybe. Yeah. Everybody's now, showing uh, up tonight, tomorrow, yeah, right? I'm not going to say that a Bengal or Rams player will be involved in these events. Who but is the safety from uh, Atlanta? Rodney. Uh, no, not no. Rodney. Uh, I can it, picture him playing his day. Yeah. Uh, me too. Darn it. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Yep, the guy who got arrested for prostitution the That's night before correct. the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah, I think he was the NFL Man of the Year. Yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Things happen. Falcons you know? safety. Uh, who was that? I can Darn picture him too. How long ago was this? Super Bowl uh, thirty-three. Laura yeah. Malloy. No. 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 He's Pat. Uh, I cannot remember this. It's. Uh, it'll be on the text line before you know it. Yeah. He played for Carolina too. Eugene Robinson. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that one wasn't great, and yeah. then you had so Barrett Robbins, who is dealing with some mental health mental health issues yep. that left right before the first snap. Um, found yeah, you, T- found him in Tijuana. Yep. You never know what's going to happen. Oh, I was at the one in where were we? I think we were in Tampa. It was the last time Cincinnati was in the Super Bowl against the 49ers, and their fullback Stanley Wilson, yeah, uh, got all coked up in his bathroom the night before the game. And miss the game. A lot of people blame that for the Bengals losing that Super Bowl. Yeah. So there you go. Things happen. Yep. That is your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. We're going to give you what's on tap next. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Dan, one of our uh, broadcast reviewers texted in and said that I think I can speak for 98% of St. Louis baseball fans in the fact that McCarver, in the fact that McCarver was not good at broadcasting at all. That from the 314, fortunately, that wasn't the person that for longer than any other analyst in history was in charge of the networks and hired Tim McCarver because he was good at what he did. Going from network to network, which is 
undone, uh, uh, or not, uh, it's unseen, I should say, um, generally speaking. So called, I think, a record 24 World Series is an analyst. Mm -hmm. He's in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. Um, and we got to, to get him at the, the tail end of his broadcast career and kind of welcome him back into the family of the St. Louis Cardinals, which I thought was really yeah. important. And for people that are... If Not, you're a younger fan that's, yeah. and that's all you know, you didn't see the other right. body of work. And my point was going to be, for what John Madden was yes. for football, Tim McCarver was for baseball. I always say that. He is the John Madden of baseball. He made you think. Now, he would come up with some stuff that may have been out there a little bit, but he would make you think. And he was taught by George Kissel and others with the Cardinals that when they were coming up, they made you think the game. Mm -hmm. And so that's what his background was. And in terms of being a storyteller, he was just incredible. He, he might be the last of the great storytellers in the game. You had Vin, you got Tim. I'm trying to think now. And it's the game has changed. Don't get me wrong. It's different how we present it. It's, it's changed. This is my, be my 25th year on Cardinal Television. And it's changed from the time when I started to what we do now. And... A lot of it has changed because the length of the game mm -hmm. and the activity in the game. And it's just it's just a different product, analytics part of the game. You know, so I always try to say this to people, Randy, when I'm doing the, the games, I'm trying to appeal to those that grew up watching Tim McCarver, those that love the 70s, the Whitey Ball era of the 80s. Maybe you're a big Tony La Russa fan and the players that he brought in. It's just different. And then we have uh, people like your son who's highly – uh, analytical, like he loves the numbers of analytics. So mm -hmm. you try to sprinkle that in. You're not going to make everybody ha happy with how you present the game, but you try your best to appease all audiences. And if folks have not yet seen it, there's a piece up by Jesse Rogers at ESPN.com. He interviewed the former Cardinal, I believe. He's going to be a former Cardinal forever, Andrew Miller, who is part of the board of directors for ML, the MLBPA. And he doesn't make it sound like it's a very positive environment uh, in terms of players and owners having the ability to get on the same page even during negotiations. Yeah, he said in the article there's even four-letter words that I don't want to say here that go back and forth and there's loud voices, heated arguments, things of that nature happening, which uh, I don't think that that doesn't surprise me. Does it surprise you to hear that? No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, it's they got to get this thing done, though. They got to get it figured out. Uh, just, you know, we got the Super Bowl week, and that'll be the attention of most in sports in our country. And then after that, it's college basketball, it's hockey, it's NBA, and it's the start of spring training. And a lot of fans look forward to that. Maybe they're planning a trip down to Florida to go see the Cardinals, all those things. And that's right now, it's, I'm sure for a lot of fans listening, that's on hold. And, I think one of the interesting things, and you should go to uh, ESPN.com and read it, one of the things that Jesse Rogers asks Andrew Miller is why, essentially, to paraphrase the question, why are you so against a salary cap? And Miller says, our union has felt it's not the system that's best for us. It's pointed at a way to create parity, but we've seen plenty of different teams in baseball win it or be successful. There's other ways to get the market to work in ways that everyone can be happy with. So on one end, the players are saying... We don't like how Tampa does it, but yet we don't want a salary cap. Yeah, the, the most important thing for them is to avoid teams tanking. And he says, well, it, it might work for other sports, the fact that 
a Cincinnati can be playing mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl, and they can they can play in, Cincinnati can play in the AFC Championship game against Kansas City. It doesn't work that way in baseball. And the best way to avoid tanking is to have a salary cap that is attached to a salary floor. That's right. I, I'm with you. You know, my understanding was that the NHL really fought this, obviously, and then it became a partnership with owners. And when they did that, you know, players, the still the top end players were getting their money, mm-hmm. but you see better parity in the sport. And as their sport exploded with television, that was a good thing. Um, what's really interesting, too, I think, is where where is the sport in talking about baseball with how you consume it? You know, the consumer. Are you going to get it on your phone? Are you doing MLB uh, the app? Are you doing – you signed up for ballets? What, what are you doing? And how to make sure that every fan has the chance to see your sport, which is very important. That's a real problem that baseball has that obviously football doesn't have to deal with right now. I think ESPN on national TV yeah, every week. Yep, the NHL was brilliant in basically turning over their NHL Center Ice package to ESPN Plus, and maybe that's the play for baseball. And I know that they sold Bam; that was incredibly lucrative for them. Baseball, baseball, what? Uh, it, it was their technical arm. And oh, baseball advanced media, Bam. Yeah, right, right. And so they they have nothing to gain now from having. MLB.tv. So why not sell those rights? Because people love rights. ESPN loves rights. Sell your extra innings package to ESPN so that somebody that knows what they're doing can deliver the product to everybody. There's the other aspect, too. I think we'd be naive to think that gambling isn't coming into the Mm -hmm. various facets of all sports, but your gambling rights. And I'm, I'm sure that's something that's being talked about. Like, who's got the rights? What happens there? The other thing is, I think um, when you look at MLB, you know, you have your ballpark villages, your Wrigleyville, they're building up a big village around Texas. So what goes to players? What doesn't? Yeah. Is it all owners? What's baseball related revenue? Trying to figure that out is uh, is tricky as well. Yeah. And I want to go back because I, I want to read the exact quote that you said from Andrew Miller, who I don't know. but Good guy, the, by the way. But this is just a ridiculous quote. And Jesse Rogers said, without a salary floor, teams may not spend because they're able to win without doing so. As you just said, different teams have been successful, both with the high and lower payrolls, like the Rays. And the the quote is, the Rays have won, and the players are against tanking, but we're not necessarily happy with the way that they've always operated. They're large recipients of revenue sharing, and the way they use that money, is that best for baseball? Well, if they're winning, and if you're a player and or you're a fan, yeah, that's pretty good for baseball. Um, and Max Scherzer just signed for $43 million. That's why you're not going to have a cap. But that's the thing, is that still the big-end guys are going to get paid yeah. a lot. It's just you're not going to have a salary cap in baseball. It's never going to happen. Players will never, ever agree to that. Which is remarkable because all they have to do is look at the fact that with a cap, Russell Westbrook is making $41 million a year. Well, Russell. yeah. I, 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 Where I'm concerned is you know, if this thing drags on into – deep into spring training and you have to push back the regular season the appetite for the fans now we're going to have a season of some sort they're going to play but people will be upset and how many people say you know what i got other i have discretionary income i can go somewhere else with it that concerns me great job today by our producer engineer the one and only matt rocchio thank you brother thank you randy thanks for those questions by the way those were good today. Thank you. Really good questions. Really, I thought Thank so. Thank God you won. I did great. Thanks, Normally, guys. I'm always on the side of the, the 
challenger. But uh, today, after what we went through on Friday, I was nervous. I was just like, come on, Randy. You got this. Tony Mandrich. You had it. Thanks, Dan. No problem, buddy. Great job by uh, Danny Mac, as always. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. The Balloon Party with Action Jackson and T-Mac is coming up next. And then BK and Ferrario from 11 to 2 before the fast lane. For all of us, thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Until tomorrow at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack. And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects are injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. Looking for something to do this weekend? When it comes to sports, nothing beats cheering your team on live. Vivid Seats has tickets for every league, all the best matchups at great prices, and all with a 100% buyer guarantee. Plus, they're the only ticketing company where you can earn rewards with every purchase. No one else has that. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today and use Sports Now for $10 off your first $100 purchase. Vivid Seats. Experience it live.